For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. Okay, I know we had uh, so-called storm cure on, but everybody errs on the side of caution, uh, particularly after Babette, I suppose. Uh, but it was pretty much much to do about nothing, wasn't it? Uh, but anyway, the Echoes front page this morning, I don't know which way to, to go with this because the head- headline says Middleton Aid arrives. But then when you read the story, it says the traders uh, met yesterday down there. There was frustrations over the application process for the funding for businesses and the speed of the response from the Red Cross. The Red Cross then tell the Echo that the first emergency payments were made to businesses this week, but yet some of the traders said that their application forms were returned because they were marked as incorrect. So I don't know what to make of that one. It's a front pager making the echo today. But uh, what is dominating many of the red tops is an attack on a 14-year-old boy who is now in a critical condition in hospital after being battered this is up in Sligo town after being battered with a nail studded baseball bat on Halloween night. I don't know whether it was a random attack. I don't know whether the lad was picked out uh, on purpose or intentionally but the guards have confirmed that three other teenagers were arrested over the incident. Took place in Sligo, as I say. Sources to the Star say that a 15-year-old's been quizzed after the attack on the boy in Sligo town, beaten around the head with a baseball bat with nails in it. It was a brutal and shocking attack and nothing but pure badness. So then following that, the guards then arrested two more suspects in their teens. And it happened uh, just next to a petrol station in Sligo town, 10 minutes past 7 on Halloween night and the lad is critical after the brutal attack. Why wouldn't he be? It's a baseball bat to begin with and it's studded with nails. Talk about the intentionality of that, would you, for just a minute. You know, getting a baseball bat, studding it with nails and then attacking a teenager with it. Um, I'm, not, I'm not equating by any stretch of the imagination <clears throat> that story and the story out of Mount Oval. I am not for a moment suggesting that they're even in the same on the same planet. But it does involve, sadly, a teenagers congregating. Um, con- teenagers are entitled to go out, have a bit of fun and to congregate and they're out uh, having a bit of hijinks on Halloween night. That's all right. But apparently it was a bit over the top up there on Halloween night. It's the story we dealt with on the air yesterday morning. Uh, there's some more news on it today. Uh, the Echo carries it on their front and inside pages. They'll come back to it throughout the course of the morning, particularly if you witnessed anything or you live up around Mount Oval, Halloween night uh, for young youths four youths, which would be underage, uh, were arrested. There's about 300 young people congregated at Mount Oval. That can be a flashpoint area and was during COVID, if you remember. But residents were saying that there were youths up there drinking and smoking and setting off fireworks and getting sick and breaking glass and throwing items and all sorts of other carry-on like that. Um, so I will come back to that story keen to talk to people if you were in the area witnessed anything or indeed what life is like because that area beautiful and all as it is uh, can be a congregation area for young people and listen they, they get an awful lot of flack but I think some of the carry on on Halloween night was a little bit more than hijinks or having a bit of fun uh, thankfully <laughs> We're just driving because Kevin's driving me these days. In fairness to him, I appreciate it because I can't drive for now. And we were going back and forth uh, across the ring road yesterday. I was saying, are they ever going to open that? It was like Victor Meldrew moment. Are they ever going to open that feckin' bridge? 
what happens yesterday they opened the bridge in fairness which is great Mount Vernon Bridge so it's the pedestrian and cycle bridge and there's some lovely photographs of people using it yesterday um, and it's an incredible thing because it'll take you from Grange all the way over the Ring Road into the Tremor Valley Park uh, and then if you wish you can carry on in your scove all the way down into Douglas along the Tremor Valley Walk or you can head into town or do whatever you want but it's a fabulous addition great job made of it and it's open for the public and that's fantastic I see Margaret Kiley in this morning's Independent doing Cork Independent doing a little bit of maths and uh, it's shocking uh, when, you, when you look at the number that she's worked out there are 17,000 homes across Cork City and County now excluding, let me say, holiday homes. These are just vacant homes. 17,000 of them um, vacant in the census last year. And that means that there are 32 vacant homes now for every adult in homeless emergency accommodation in Cork. Isn't it bizarre and shocking when you put this statistic like that? In America, and I will talk with Ralph Regal a little later on this morning, the uh, Jason Corbett uh, trial, as in two, how he died and why he died and who killed them. Although Molly Martins and her father have admitted that they were um, involved and responsible for his death, but uh, are pleading to manslaughter. Um, the interesting about this, and we'll talk about it later on, is that um, both Jack and his sister Sarah, who at the time were 10 and 8 years old, gave video statements to uh, police and to the authorities back in the day and they were said that uh, Jason Corbett, their dad, would physically and verbally hurt their mom. Um, and he got very angry with her and um, that they didn't get along very well. His father would get angry at simple things like leaving light switches on. Jack said back at the time, and this I'm, reason, I'm telling you this now, you may already know, but it's being admitted as evidence now in um, in Carolina, South Carolina. It wasn't the last time for the murder trial. So it has been entered as evidence now. It's, it's pretty shocking. Jack said at the time, he would physically and verbally hurt my mum. Uh, she would cry and try to plug her ears. Sometimes she would just curl herself up in a ball and it made me sad and angry. Um, they also have the audio testimony of his sister, Sarah. Now, they're much older now. I think Sarah, I think they're like 18, 20, 22 years old. Uh, that's not an accurate age for them. I'm just... Having oh, 19 and 17, my apologies at the moment. Uh, so that's interesting because uh, apparently yesterday was a fairly shocking day in court when that evidence and that audio was read into the uh, the records. But as I say, Ralph Regal is out there uh, for the Irish Independence and more on that across the morning. Of course, issues in the Gaza Strip uh, continue and it hasn't been confirmed by the Irish government now, but it is being suggested or rumoured according to the Mirror today on their front page, that there is an Irish citizen being held by Hamas. While that is the story for the front of the Mirror, the examiner this morning um, showed that, um, you know, Simon Coveney doesn't hold back if he feels that something has to be said. And he's saying it this morning. He's saying two different things. He's saying uh, that the international community, like countries around the world, are turning their back on the children of Gaza. He says the countries need to stand up for human rights. And he is also saying that Israel is not complying with international law after collapsing buildings on top of children in an effort to try and target one Hamas leader. The consequences of it, of course, result in hundreds of deaths and indeed some of those children. So in fairness to him, he's put his... uh, you know, he's got the courage of his convictions and he's at least talking up on behalf um, of um, the uh, Gaza 
situation and the children there who are dying. Um, so we're interested to see uh, what happens in regards to that story as, as it rolls out on a daily basis. Uh, I do see many different stories uh, involving, um, you know, the, the rich and the famous making the papers today. Um, and there's a lot on Robbie Williams. I'm not quite sure why he's making all of the papers in one tranche, but he's talking about his life and how it was completely and utterly out of control. He says, I used to go, I went on a six-day vodka and cocaine bender. I felt totally indestructible, but I really was on the fast track to death. He said that there were times when he went without sleep for over 145 hours and remembers very little of it. But what interests me is that um, I know with regards to broadcast legislation, there are very strict rules and regulations and guidelines for broadcasters when when we talk about suicidal ideation or attempts at one's own life. We are obliged and highly recommended not to Uh, go into any details of the types of different methods that people use and rightly so because obviously it could be very very triggering but yet you find in the red tops today they do talk about Robbie Williams and they quote um, his at least one uh, attempt on his life and they actually in the big black headlines um, quote him as to how he actually did it Uh, so obviously the same rules don't apply and you know who's making all of the newspapers Dahi O'Shea because of his new rug or at least an addition to his existing rug his hair transplant Um, and it was done apparently by robots by all accounts so it's thatch of today as in he presents the Today Show on RTE and he's just over the moon and totally delighted. He says, I'm looking at a younger version of myself. Apparently he had a receding hairline for years and it was becoming very noticeable and he was becoming very self-conscious about it. So that's in all of the papers today. Nice that he's uh, in good form and happy. Talking about robots, um, you know, so you have robotic hair transplants now. Uh, But wait for it. Elon Musk is warning us this morning that artificial intelligence, which are robots, Robots, by want of another word, that they ultimately will make humans extinct. And he says that this kind of technology involving AI, which can think for itself, which makes it sentient, um, ultimately is more dangerous, he says, than the nuclear bomb. And another great story, around about two o'clock today, uh, the Beatles will release their brand new song, as in, if you like, Uh, songs from the grave, I suppose. More than 60 years after they released their first record, they will release a new song this afternoon. It's called Now and Then. Now, if you're a regular listener to this program, I went through it in quite some detail, the backstory to the song, how Lennon recorded it in his apartment in New York. He just did vocals and guitar, sorry, vocals and piano. And then the rest of the band recorded their own um, instruments. This is after Lennon had died. Uh, and they added to it and they took the piano out and they improved Lennon's vocals and they've come up with a brand new Beatles song and it'll be released this afternoon. I hope maybe they get a chance to talk to Dave Fanning about that a little later on this morning. But today is national, or if you like, international Men Cook Dinner Day, right? Now, some might say, me included, that this is quite sexist because that is suggesting that it is the only day of the year that men or fathers or partners actually cook dinner. And us men know that that is a lie. It is a lie, ladies and gentlemen, because we do pull our weight an awful lot more. But nonetheless, there you have it. Today is National Men Cook Dinner Day. So there are rules involved in this. 
I won't read all of them. There's about 15 of them. Wouldn't you know, when it comes to men, there'd be all sorts of rules. But So it's National Men Make Dinner Day. It's always celebrated on the first Thursday of each November. Um, bonus points if he does so without seeking the promise of a night out with his pals in return. Um, another one is the main meal must include a minimum of four ingredients and requires at least one cooking utensil other than a fork. Like a spoon or a ladle or a wooden spoon or a pear or a peeler. Anyway, what else is there? The man goes shopping for all the necessary ingredients. The man may, if desired, turn on the radio or his favourite CD like as if all men are back in the dinosaur days of listening to CDs. Um, Man agrees not to be within 30 feet of the television remote during any of the cooking process. That is making us out to be total and utter Neanderthals. The apron is optional if he wishes. The man must use the clean-as-he-goes-along rule. Ah, it says a few women out there could take a lesson from that one, clean-as-you-go. Man must set table... Candles must be lit. Beverages must be poured. No ketchup bottles. Why? Why? Uh, No big boxes of salt or pepper. Proper condiments must be used. The spouse or the family must be served at the table. I'm off the hook on that one tonight because I have only the one hand. (laughs) Okay, you cook with one hand. Baked potatoes, I suppose. Um, and then after the meal, man must clear away. Man must must put everything in the dishwasher and then return <laughs> and then return to the table for stimulating after dinner conversation. After which he is given a hug and the television remote is returned to him. Does anybody out there at all, or is it just me, find that purely and utterly condescending? What would your dad cook, lads? Text oh eight six eight one zero four. 106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818-104-106. Cork's Red FM. Great chat yesterday with TJ Higgs, the uh, psychic medium. We were talking about lots of different things, including signs from beyond. You know, we were chatting about things that you see and you put it down to your loved one sending a message. Sometimes it can be a rainbow. Sometimes it could be a feather indoors where you wouldn't expect to see a feather. Little robins, people have that as a significance. And we were also talking about butterflies, right? Um, many people talking about butterflies. Uh, a few weeks after my mam died, two robins came down in front of me when I was having my morning ciggy. I like to think it was my mam and dad saying good morning and that they were together again. And listen, if that's what you want to believe, go for it. It gives you great consolation. I had a beautiful butterfly in my sitting room last Friday morning, Neil. The day uh, the Richie Rates Roasts was coming to my house as I had entered his competition and won. I loved cooking and my mam, God rest her, always loved when I entertained and cook for the family. So I just knew my mam was around and saying good luck to me. A dragonfly followed us out walking one day. I googled it and it is said to be a sign from a loved one. So that one should be included on the list as well. Morning, my brother passed away at his home and a few months later a robin landed on his roof just above his bedroom. It stayed there for a long time. For me, it was definitely a sign from my brother. Uh, Apparently, Neil, robins appear when our loved ones are near and I firmly believe this. Two years after my sister died, I walked through the front door of my new house after being homeless to a big white feather right inside the door. It was just perfect. And you have to ask yourself the question, what is a big white feather doing indoors? Fabulous sign. Uh, I always see a rainbow on the days that I need to see the most. 
I love that. Uh, after a very close friend, member, di- family member died, I was finding coins everywhere, mainly five cent coins, but in the most random of places. Then someone mentioned pennies from heaven to me, and I'm convinced it had something to do with my loved one passing. It lasted for about a week after they passed away. And one more, then I'll take a call. My granda passed away on Friday morning. So sorry to hear that. And we've had a few signs since. We've had robins, long-lasting rainbows, feathers appearing in places, to the clock stopping at the time he passed away. We also think the fire alarm going off near the end of his funeral may have been him. It's been an eventful few days, I can tell you that. So keep those coming. Text 0868104106 as I go to our, fo- our phone lines. A lot to cover this morning. Trisha, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How Thanks are you? so much for your, your lovely text. Always better to come on. And um, you were chatting about your wonderful husband, Peter, who passed away in 2020. That's right, yeah. Um, Peter, uh, I suppose he was diagnosed in 2019 with a glioblastoma, which is like a type of brain tumour. And he passed oh. away in, in 2020. Um, Very quickly morning. after the diagnosis, wasn't it? Yes, 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 yeah. Mm. But what what um, what we found very kind of strange but comforting at the same time was the morning after Peter's funeral. The kids woke very early, um, and they knocked on my bedroom door and they said, "Mommy, the the butterfly woke woke us up." So this is in the middle of February. So I thought, you know, that they were, they were mistaken. But sure enough, I went out into the landing and there was this red admiral flapping about on the landing. A red admiral? Is that rare enough? Well, I, I don't think they're that rare. I don't know I don't know my butterflies now, I'm just asking. No, I, I don't think they're that rare, but just to find one flutting around the house in, in the middle of February, I think, would be quite rare, you know? Um, so he just landed on Mark's wall and um, I put my hand, which is my son, I put my hand out and he just climbed onto my hand and I walked down the stairs, opened the front door, walked outside. He stayed on my hand for a minute or so and then flew off. Wow. How'd that so, make you feel? It, it, it was quite comforting in a way. Uh, I remember my, my grandmother years ago used to always say, you know, butterflies were a sign of loved ones. And I took that as a sign. Now, I'm, I'm quite sceptical when it comes to these kind of things, but... I, I, I suppose I took a little bit of comfort in it, it being the morning after Peter's funeral. And um, we decided, myself and the kids, to put some butterflies on, on Peter's gravestone. So when we go to see it, you know, there's little butterflies etched into the stone, which is quite oh, nice. Oh, that's a lovely thing to do, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, yeah. But then you've... Oh, that's beautiful. I mean, I was talking about butterflies yesterday because the most bizarre thing happened. I don't know if you were listening. Two butterflies flew over the open grave as my father was going down to be with my mother. And, yes. And it just yeah. blew me away. I was saying, what are the chances of that? You know, my mother and my father and two butterflies literally flying right over the top of the grave. No. Yeah, I think we, we like to draw comfort with little signs, little things like that. You know, it's hard to say goodbye to somebody. So, you know, if something like this happens... You cling to it. You know, yeah, you and it would of, be lovely that everybody yeah. would get an opportunity to get some kind of a, yes. a message like that. But you've been regularly visited by a robin as well, have you? Yeah, this robin started coming into the house. Now, Lee, he frightened me lots of times because we don't see him coming in. You know, if uh, a couple of times now we're um, on one occasion, Mark went out, my, my son went out to put a rubbish bag into the bin. And... A few minutes later, Mark is inside in the sitting room and he says, there's a bird in the sitting room flying around. So I went in and there was this robin 
flopping about in, in, in the living room. So we opened the door, he flew out, thought nothing of it. And it's happened quite regularly over, and but most especially last year, um, my mum was quite sick and she was in hospital. And myself and my mum used to, we'd, we'd call every day on the phone. Mm. So while she was very sick in hospital, obviously there wasn't a phone call, she wasn't able to pick up the phone or answer the phone mm. for a couple of days while she was so ill. And it was, she was on my mind and I was thinking about her. And the next thing, the phone rings and it's my mum on the phone. So she said, I'm feeling better today. Mm. And it was so nice to hear a voice. But mm. while I'm on the phone to her, something catches the corner of my eye. Now, I'm in the house alone and I could see something move in the corner of the kitchen. I'm standing in the kitchen. And lo and behold, there's a robin sitting on top of my kettle. <laughs> and myself and I we used to always sit down, have a cup of tea, have a biscuit, have a chat. And I really felt like, oh, he's here. He's telling me to have a cup of tea. Peter's saying, put, Peter saying yeah. put the kettle on. I love put it. Put the kettle on, have a cup of tea. And I sent you a, po- a photograph of um, the, the robin sitting on the kettle. But in the background, I don't know if you can zoom in on it, there's a, a little, um, there's a love heart. Just describe it to us, Trish, because me, like everybody else listening, I haven't seen the photograph, unfortunately, but do describe it. Well, I've got this uh, kettle and it's sitting on the countertop and just behind it, the, the window, and there's a curtain drawn back. And I have this little love heart that my mother gave me uh, many years ago. And it says, daughter, a daughter may outgrow your lap, but she'll never outgrow your heart. And that's in the background where the robin is sitting. And I just thought, this is so nice. There's way it's too like, many coincidences going on in your life, many. isn't there? Way too many. Yeah, yeah, yeah way yeah, too many. Yeah, yeah. Um, that, that, that robin as well uh, would fly around other parts of the house and land on different objects that were Peter's. Am I right? That's right. He came in another day. And again, I was on my own in the house. The kids were in school and I could hear a noise from upstairs. And my first reaction, Neil, was that I thought I had a mouse or something upstairs and it frightened the life out of me. And I was actually quite afraid to go up the stairs. So I had to pluck up the courage because I could hear a little bit of movement. And when I went up, it was Robin inside my son's bedroom. Now, how he got in there, I have no idea. But in my son's bedroom, I kept quite a few bits of Peter's um, things, belongings to him. You know, that we didn't want to part with um, and one of them being um, his dressing gown, you know, that he wore quite a lot when he was sick and Mark was starting to go a bit tall and the dressing gown was just about fitting him. So oh, lovely. I hung it on the back of Mark's bedroom door and on the coat hanger it says love, laugh and live. I think there's like three little wooden signs on it. Yeah. And the robin flew up and landed on the dressing gown with the word love written behind it. <sighs> so he stood there for quite some time. I have, so the, picture, I have the picture of the robin actually on top of the per- yeah. perching on top of the dressing gown. Yeah, so I was under the, and, and he's right under the word love. He's right under it. He's right under That's it. That's insane. That's just insane, isn't it? Yeah, and he went from there. Then my husband used to love reading. And I gave Mark Peter's reading lamp. Um, so he flew over, landed on the lamp. And there he perched again and, and posed, may I say, for another photograph. <laughs> <laughs> he was in no hurry to get out. I was opening windows now and everything at this point. Was Peter himself um, a bit of a poser, was he? <laughs> no, far from it. Far <laughs> from it. He wasn't. No, actually, he hated getting a photograph taken. Right, but right. anyway, this, uh, and then I had the kids pick out 
two of Peter's shirts and I had memory bears made of them. And Memory uh, bears from his clothing. How does that work? Is it an actual teddy bear? It's a teddy bear. Yeah, yeah. Um, I just wanted something for the kids, you know, to have. Um, you know, to hold by night, you know, to comfort them a little bit. So there's a lovely lady down in Glamire. I'm sorry, I know I don't remember her name, but uh, I got the kids to pick out two of the favourite shirts that Peter used to wear, and we brought them down to her, and she makes these lovely bears out of clothing of, you know, deceased loved ones. That's a beautiful thing. Yeah, so, and his name was stitched across the front of the bear. So uh, it was on Mark's bed, and then the robin flew over and just perched himself on top of the bear. So I actually sent in a photograph of that as well. I that's have them too. all. No, yeah. you know, some, yeah. some, you know, some might say, "Oh, that's just coincidence." Read nothing into it. But there's, I, I don't agree with that. I think that you know, your story in particular is just there's way too many coincidences for that to be just kind of like random. You know. Well, I, I don't know. As I said, I'm, I'm quite sceptical when it comes to these things, but. I have to say, I drew comfort. You know, I was worried about my mom in hospital. I was, you know, feeling low that Peter was gone. And all of a sudden, there he is landing on all these objects which were once belonged to Peter. And I don't know. I, yeah. I, I, drew, I drew comfort from it anyway. Well said. Listen, before I let you go, because I have Ali standing by, and my apologies to her. You, you mentioned there um, a kind of like the, the teddy bear. What did you call it? You call it a... A memory bear. A memory bear made from, uh, say, the likes of Peter's shirts. Um yeah. I, I don't know if you ever heard uh, or if anybody actually does it for a living maybe they do when when my mother-in-law passed away the great Kitty Lenahan at the age of 99 and a half um, what was made and it was my daughter and my wife's sister made a blanket like a uh, like a, a throw a memory or, blanket or like, yeah. A, like, yeah, like a throw or a blanket nice, nice thick and quilty uh, and it was made from my wife will correct me now I hope she does if I'm wrong um, out of, of out of sweaters and, and items of clothing and it was like a patchwork quilt of all of her beautiful colours in the clothing she loved bright colours and it's the most magnificent thing um, but they made it my daughter and, and, and Anne my wife's sister made it and it's the most gorgeous thing it's in the house it's draped over one of the sofas but I wonder is there anybody that does that because I think people would find great comfort in something like that you know, um, to hold on to after a loved one passes away, just like your, like just like your comfort bear or your. There, your there is, yeah. Because I actually looked, I looked them up on on Facebook, and there is a couple of ladies out there that um, that do these blankets and and teddy bears. I know. I asked the kids themselves what they wanted, and they both wanted bears. So that's what we did. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. Well, I'd love to talk to one of them if that's what they do. Uh, you're saying they're, they're they they advertise the uh, on Facebook, is it? Yeah, that's how I found this lady. I'm sorry, I don't remember her name. No, that's okay. I just think it's a, yeah. it's a wonderful thing to do, isn't it? Your, yours is a lovely idea, and I think the blanket is as well. You know, it's gorgeous. Lovely. Other people, yeah. they, other yeah. than get, other people get, um, you know, scent in a house. They might get a, a perfume. Or I was talking about, um, you know, years and years and years ago, picking up um, long after he was dead, the 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 smell of my grandfather's Mick McQuaid pipe tobacco, for instance. You know, in a place where yeah. you would never expect it, as he was well but, dead at that stage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I had never experienced anything like that now, but yeah, I've heard of stories of, uh, you know, people picking up on scents like that. Yeah. Mammy's, Mammy's perfume or dad's aftershave or something like that, you know? Yes, yeah. Trish, lovely chatting with you. Thank you so much lovely for sharing me. this morning. Thanks Mind yourself. All Thank the best. You. Ali, good morning. Good morning, Neil. I know you waited a while. Apologies. You have the floor. Share your story. No, that was lovely listening to that lady. Lovely story, lady, Trisha. Absolutely yeah. beautiful. Yeah. 
Um, I suppose, Neil, um, my own mum, she passed away in 2014. And um, we had one experience where it was November and I was actually over at my kids' um, grandmother's house. She had visitors and I went over to help her. I was doing some cooking and cleaning and stuff like that. And I was inside in the kitchen on my own. And next thing I found this white feather. Now, when I say white feather, it was a very unusual looking feather. It wasn't like a feather from a bird. And I picked it up and I was saying, geez, where did that come from? You know, it's November and it's unusual to see feathers around and that sort of thing. So I thought no more about it. I put it into my pocket and I bought it home. So my son, um, my eldest son, John, was living at home at the time and he had been studying for college. So I bought over, made up dinner for my son, John, and... um, I I remember then that the feather was in my pocket, so I I took it out and I said to my son, I said, look what I found over in um, in your nanny's kitchen floor today when I was cleaning up. So I handed it to him and I went out to heat up his dinner and next thing he left it on, merciful roar out and he went, ma'am! And he gave me a fright because I thought something was after happening. So I went back into the sitting room and next thing he said to me, did you smell the feather? So I was looking at him stupid. I said, why would I be smelling the mm, feather? Mm. So he said to me, ma'am, take it in your hand and smell it. So I took it from my son and I smelt it. And wasn't it my mother's perfume? Isn't that bizarre? Was it really? And my mother wore a very unusual perfume. She used to get it from her sister and um, used to send it to her from the UK it's called Spellbound. It's by Estee Lauder. And I don't even know if you can get that perfume now. But that was the scent on the feather. So anyway, um, to this day, I have that feather with my mother's photograph in a pouch inside of my purse. But anyway, last Friday, Neil, um, I decided you probably all heard of Richie Rates Road. Well, I know Richie's been on the air with us and he rates all sorts of foods. I didn't know he went into people's homes, though, does he? He does. He was at my house last Friday. I decided to enter the competition. What, what, what's um, that about? You do a roast dinner, he comes and demolishes it, is it? In Richie form. Exactly, yeah. exactly. And you know, Richie, you know, he will he will rate it and he'll tell you whether it's... He's the business, it's definitely. Nice He's the business. yeah. Yeah, yeah. 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 So Dark I went into the sitting room. Yeah, exactly. So I went into my sitting room anyway last um, Friday morning, and I was getting myself organised. And um, so I pulled up the blind, and geez, lo and behold, there was a butterfly inside the sitting room window. And next thing, it landed on. Um, I suppose. It's a present that my mother bought me. It would be a kind of um, a crystallised tea light holder. And when the sun will shine um, in through the window, it's almost like, you know, a prism on the wall, like a rainbow effect. Love it. And didn't that appear um, on my sitting room wall last Friday? And I just knew myself that it was a sign for my mother saying, the best of luck. I know you can do this. And you I take great comfort it. and consolation from that, and it's a wonderful thing. Great oh, story. Absolutely. And just tell us how how did you get on with your ro- your roast? What did you make? What did you cook? 
I did um, a sirloin of roast beef. Um, I did um, matched turnip with sweet potato and I added some chilli flakes just to give it a little bit of a kick. Love it. Love I the did chili. carrots in garlic butter, uh, creamed potatoes, homemade roast potatoes and homemade gravy. And what did and he... And he polished off the plate. What did he, and how did he raise it? Um, he... he he, um, very, very pleased. He didn't. I, I can't actually remember him giving me a score. I think the only thing he had fault with was um, roast potatoes. But I know what happened there. And um, look, I suppose everything can be perfect. But he really did polish off the plate. He said he really, really enjoyed it. So is he going around? Is this a lovely com- fella? Is, he's lovely. Oh, he's sound. He's very funny. Uh, is he going around to loads of different houses rating the roasts? He is, this time, he has just kept it to Cork, Cork yeah. only, because normally he goes all over the country. What, and is there, a, I, is there a prize? There's a thousand euro prize. <laughs> yeah, thousand euro prize. And the good thing about it, Neil, was <laughs> I didn't have to pay for the food. Um, Singleton's in Super Value in Holly Hill, they provided a 50 euro voucher. <laughs> Okay. Yeah, but Did at the moment I think he's actually looking for another contestant. There's there's three more. There was three more after me, and I think someone dropped out. So if anybody's listening to this morning, if you can cook, just go ahead. He's not Gordon Ramsay. He's the nicest fella. Uh, what is he? Yeah, they can find. I know he's probably on Facebook and Instagram and TikTok and all sorts of places like yeah, that. I must have a he chat is. with him when he's finished with all of that because that sounds like an awful lot of fun. I hope you win the one thousand euro because it sounds like a lovely dinner. In fairness to you, thank you. Thanks very much. Let me know how you get on, will you? I will indeed. All I right. Will indeed. Take care, Ali. And thanks for taking my. Lovely stories, thank you. It's actually at Richie's Food and Nature on Instagram. You can further details of what that guy does. And he does a lot, let me say that. Back after the break, text 0868104106. Nicole is holding. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. Hi, Nicole. Thanks so much for holding. Good morning to you. Morning, how are Uh, you? Lovely stories this morning. People taking a lot of comfort and consolation. What have you got for us? Um, so basically it was just my dad died two years ago and my mum died two months after my dad. Oh so dear. when my dad first died, um, I used to go out every morning for my cigarette, which I do every morning. But my dad was a smoker and there was one Robin used to come down, sit next to me, watch me and leave just before I was finished having my, my cigarette and whatever. And then after my mum died, and I suppose I was very lonesome then after that, um, two Robins started to appear next to each other, came together, left together, and it was just that I kind of saw a lot of consolation in that. that I, well, was that the one time or was it a few times they would No, come there down? was a few times. There was a few times. There was a few times, yeah. That's, that, that's a bit too, that's a bit too far to be coincidental, really. It's a bit too kind of like close to home, isn't it? Like, is it, there has yeah, to be some Yeah, and look, message. I know that they're winter birds and my mum's anniversary would have been October, so I know that they're winter birds and I know all that and whatever and it would have been the winter time, but it was. It was that the two of them used to come down together. They'd sit there, they'd look at me and then the two of them would fly off the way together again. And for you, that's your mum and said, mum and, that's your mum and dad saying good morning or is it your mum and dad saying, would you ever give those up? <laughs> A uh, bit of both, a uh, bit of both. But my mum telling me to give them up. My mum telling me to give them up. My dad telling me to enjoy it. Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, I know. Um, do you do you do you believe in psychics? Would you ever think of going to a medium? Because we were talking with TJ Higgs yesterday. She can communicate. Um, she says with the spirits. 
Um, I'd be a bit sceptical, but I'd lo- I would love to, to, to go to one just to, to see what they would would give me back. But um, I'd be sceptical until I got the, the information back, I suppose. In, in, you know? in your text, uh, Nicole, you talk about the deaths of your mum and dad, um, both of them quite tragic. Um, your dad, are, are you OK to talk about that? Because you, you did put, yeah, it, you yeah. did put yeah. it in the text. Can, do you mind if I just say what you said? Yeah, said, yeah. But they both died suddenly. So my dad died from a heart attack, and my mom died in a house fire. Yeah. Oh. yeah. I mean, both tragic losses for sure they are, but a house fire—that is awful to hear, isn't it? Yeah, that was that was that was a terrible night, really. Yeah, yeah. The family home. Yeah, yeah. It was the night of my youngest daughter's christening, and my mom actually never made it out, and that's why. So, yeah. Oh dear, that's so upsetting. You're even upset, obviously, bringing it up, me bringing it up. My apologies, um, I don't mean to upset you. Know, you. No, do you know what? No, I'll be perfectly honest. Um, it, it gets easier in time. It does. And I know everybody says, oh, time. And I know it sounds a bit cliche and whatever. But it, like, I never thought that I'd be able to just sit down and talk to people about things and whatever. But it does get easier. It does. It never leaves you, but it, it does get easier. You're, you know, you put it absolutely 100% right. It never leaves you. It gets easier. And they come yeah. back into your mind at the strangest times for no apparent reason, nicely. And um, uh, you, you think after the loss of a loved one that it never will. You're going to, because your, your mind is thinking, oh, I'm never going to get over this. This is just yeah. way too much, the process. Um, I don't. I don't. That, that's apparent, though. I, I, I've spoken often to to family members, or husband, mothers, and fathers who lost children, and, and for me, that's a step too far. I don't know about you, but that for me would be a step too far. I don't think I'd ever I, come back from I, that. It, it, it's a different kind of loss, and like everybody's loss would be different. But I don't know how people would come back from that because there would like obviously there's a void there after your parents, but children they're a totally different ballgame. They are. Okay, lovely stories this morning. Thank you so much for sharing your one, Nicole, and sorry for your loss. Take care. Thank you. Text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106, and it will come back to many of those calls as well. Do you remember my chat yesterday morning with Richard Hogan, the psychotherapist? He has a new book out called Home is Where the Start Is, and a very open, candid, and honest conversation about his own upbringing um, as as a young fellow, as a child, as a as a teenager and indeed as an adult in his relationship with his father. I got some great, great responses from people who are very open and honest themselves about aspects of their own life and I want to get those on air as well. Uh, you can keep them coming if you wish. Text 0868 104 I see Caroline there um, and I want to chat with her and we'll pick up on some more calls after the break. Text the Neil Prenderville Show now. 086-8104-106. Red FM. We're talking about signs from loved ones um, and the different forms in which those signs appear. Much of it can be butterflies. Others it can be scent or smell. For others it's robins. I was talking also about rainbows and things like that. Anyway, enough of me. Caroline, good morning. Hello, Neil. How are you? Thank you you for your lovely text. Uh, We're talking about the sad passing of your husband, Kieran, uh, only two years ago, just gone two years. Yeah, yeah, two years ago. He's very young, he's only 51. Did he die suddenly? Just collapsed? Yeah, he died suddenly. We were out jogging in Castle Creek and uh, he just just collapsed and died out there. Yeah, yeah, very suddenly. Awfully tragic. Yeah. Did, did yeah. you find out subsequently whether he had issues with his heart or anything like that? Um, yeah, he got uh, you know various tests done and all that, but um, uh, there was no definitive. But I I think it was you know sudden death syndrome yeah. and all that you know. Um, unexplained. Yeah. Unexplained. Unexplained. Yeah, and I think he, it was his time, and you know that was it. 
you know, I could riddle my brain trying to figure out why, but I, I've kind of learned to let that go. But awfully traumatic for you to, to be there uh, one day, beautiful place, Castle yeah. Freak, so gorgeous, a lovely jog, and he drops down. Yeah, yeah. But actually, it's the one place where um, I get solace now. I, I, I love being out there now, so... I'm glad. It, I'm yeah, glad. yeah, absolutely. And do you, yeah. do you get signs from Cairn? Yeah, well, I, I, there's a funny one. Um, so... Um, after the burial, you know, you go through the removal and the rosary and all of that. Um, after the burial, um, we've two kids, um, you know, they're in their they're in their 20s now. But um, we came home and we, I said to my son, I said, turn on, put on some movie there, just a light-hearted movie. Mm. So that we can have a bit of a laugh and, you know, just laugh. So he put on um, uh, due date. And uh, so Robert Downey Jr. was in it, and you know the guy Zach. He's from he's Alan in The Hangover. So the story about them is they they're going across the states, and um, Zach. Well, that's his real name, but he has the ashes of his dead father, and he's taking the ashes across the states. And Robert Robert Downey Jr.'s um, character is about he's a first time father, and he's trying to rush back to the wife who's in labour. But um, so my son said, oh, mom, there's a scene coming up now. I don't think you should watch it. And I said, Rory, put it on. I, I don't mind. Just re-. So the scene is they're both in these two actors. They're both inside in some kitchen and the ash is there. And the next thing they knock over the coffee grounds and the ashes and they get all mixed up and they make coffee out of it and they drink the coffee and your man Alan from The Hangover tells Robert Downer Jr um, oh yeah that's my dad's ashes you're drinking there and he spits it out gross so we all started laughing I thought it was I thought it was really funny and what's really funny is my husband was in the coffee business so we just started laughing and straight after that a butterfly flew out from the back of our couch and landed on the television and was kind of agitated and then settled down and we just were looking at this butterfly and we said, oh my God, where did this butterfly come from? And we all said that it was Kieran. Yeah. It was definitely uh, him. Yeah, 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 yeah. I think it's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. And it, it's just so funny that the movie was about ashes Kieran was cremated and he was in the coffee business. Too close for comfort for it to be anything yeah. more than, uh, you know, a lot more than just, again, I've said it many times, this is not coincidental, it just can't be. So, subsequent to be, that, yeah. I'd be, very, I'd be very logical and I would be very, you know, I wouldn't have kind of believed in any of that. But it's only when it happens to you and you, you know, it's very hard to explain, but you know, you know, you just know that there's a sign, it's a sign that the spirit world is very near. Well, you can't kill energy, you know, that's one thing you cannot do, yeah. you know, the body might uh, fade away and uh, you know, if you're religious, you'll yeah. believe with regards to your soul and, and the next life and there's great consolation in that, but the energy create, yeah. created by all of us and our movement, because we are beings that are driven by electrical pulses and what have you, that's always yeah. there, like a radio signal is always there. So we're always somewhere yeah. in some shape or fashion. Do you, do you, you had a vision then sometime later, did you? Um, 
My sister took me to on a retreat in Myers Wood, which is um, in Lepton, just outside Skibbereen. And this was a couple of months afterwards. And uh, we were at the end of the retreat and you're lying down and you're doing the final body scan kind of thing. And I had one of these eye masks, yoga eye masks over me, over my eyes. And um, the next thing I just saw the two of us, we were both into cycling, and the two of us are cycling down in Kerry at the Gap into Lowe. And it was as if I was actually standing on the road there. I could feel the wind and I could see, you know, it was very, very kind of three-dimensional. And um, I was standing on the ground, I was standing beside my bike. I was, and I just couldn't move from where I was. But he was cycling in front of me and he kept cycling and he went around the Gaffeton Low. And there was this white light, a very white, bright white light. And after that dissipated, and at this time now, I started crying. I started crying mad. Um, but then this light blocked my vision. And when the, it was like a cloud disappearing or smoke disappearing, he was gone. And all of a sudden, I got this very calm, peaceful feeling throughout my body. And I just stopped crying. And were you conscious um, for all of this? This is not a dream. Absolutely. No, I took off the eye mask and looked at the yoga teacher and people around me to make sure, God, yeah, I'm, I'm still back here in West Cork. I'm not down in the Gaston Law. Do you think that yoga, and I know very little or nothing about it, having never gone to a yoga class, but do you think that, that it, it puts you in touch at a deeper level or even a higher level, you know, the, yeah. the exercises? It makes, you, it makes you very, very Aware? Calm. Yeah, very calm and very, very just grounded. Just grounded. And I had heard a story that, you know, so, I don't know, is it 40 something days after a person passes is when they leave this earthly world and pass over to the spirit world. So when I came out of the retreat, I went on my phone and I went into the calendar and I counted days. And it was the number of days that I had heard, uh, you know, 40, I think it was 43 or something like that. But I, it was the 40 something day after the funeral. And is that a significant day? It's been, it's, it's like the, the day they pass from this world or the Well, I'll be darned. You learn something new every day. And how are you yeah. coping, Caroline? Uh, I'm good. I'm good now. I have wonderful friends, wonderful family, and I have a lot of interests. So, and I, I hear in my ear, life is for living. I hear that. That's Kieran. I just I, I, I don't know. My mother and father passed very shortly after him, um, and I think it's all of them. It's it's they're all behind me, telling me life is for living. And it and is, isn't here it? Further. It is. Isn't we're, it? we're here for a very short time. You know, when you're young, you don't you don't get that because it's also exciting no. and also new, and you're so infallible. But as you clip along through the decades, uh, you and I both, and yeah. many others listening. You realise that, um, uh, like, the clock's always ticking and you're wondering, am I using my time to the best of my ability because it's the only time I'm ever going to get? Um, yeah. You know, do I... Do but I, I think when somebody dies very close to you, it, it's like a shock to your it is. It's it a, turns it, your head. It's a wake-up, yeah, it is. It's a wake-up call, yeah, it is. You're, yeah. you're saying to yourself, this is really the result for all of us, so let us be aware of that and, and make the most of what we have and perhaps if we could all just be kinder and not worry about the small things and maybe not, I know it's hard it's easy to say, not to be so obsessed about, 
you know, um, you know, wealth or you know, Absolutely. success or yeah. career. I, because you know, you have to put food on the table. I know that. You leave it all behind you. I mean, when when I was going through Karen's stuff, I mean, you know, he didn't take it with him. And oh, sure, I know. Realized, I know. Sure, I'm doing the same. I'm doing the same at the moment with all of my father's possessions and everything, yeah. going way back to the poor man's birth cert and everything. And you're looking at a life unfolding before yeah. your eyes. You know, it's a, yeah. And and you're there, God, like, you know, what do you do with it? But you know, it's it's there's, it's stuff. It's just stuff. Yeah, we have a finite period of time, girl. Make the most of it. Caroline, mind yeah. yourself, you and your lovely family. Thank you, and condolences to you. You're uh, the best. Take care of yourself. Take care. Bye Back bye. after 10, lads. Text 0868104106. Now, the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. What a week it's been with regards to Halloween and Samhain and all things spirit and spiritual. We had some really great calls and different topics on it across the week. We were talking uh, from yesterday with TJ Higgs, the psychic, about um, you know messages or signs uh, from loved ones, and you know obviously we've had calls again this morning on it, and quite a lot of texts. Patty says, "I if people believe their loved ones are returning in animal form, and then they should take up Buddhism." I would like to come back as my dog. She has the best of life, says Paddy. And they do say it's a dog's life. Morning, my godmother, long gone now, always said to my ma'am, Liz, the earth will end with fire and water. How right she was. She knew nothing of our stuff, but she did pass away in Lourdes. What insight she had. She worked hard all her life and bought me shoes every Christmas. Extraordinary woman who said, the earth will end with fire and water. My uncle died unexpectedly in January this year. He was a pure Cork character. When he wasn't in Ross Carberry, he had a little circuit of pubs in the city that he loved, from Charlie's to the Gables to Collins and Douglas Street. After the funeral, I went into the city to do a lap for him. And when I was in the toilet in the Gables, a laminated sign about washing your hands, flew off the wall and landed at my feet. For me, it was obvious that this sign was up for at least a few years. So I'm 100% sure that it was my uncle, Aidan Wilson. Uh, I don't live in Cork anymore, but whenever I go home, I make sure to visit Val and Lou in the Gables. And that is a lovely text um, from a chap who's living in Switzerland now, but is home at the moment. And so he's tuned in, wasn't in a position to come on the air. But thank you for the text nonetheless. Uh, an old Irish saying that says that when you dream about the dead after they die, it's them just saying hello. Another few. My mam passed away only five weeks ago. I was down in photo with the kids a week after she passed and I could hear a robin. I said, I can hear you singing, ma'am, but I can't see you. And just as I finished the sentence, down came this robin who was singing flew right in front of me and looked me straight in the face. I was so happy to get this visit as it took my mam's passing so, so hard. What lovely consolation for you. Hi Neil, I looked after my husband for 10 years with cancer. He passed away seven years ago in February 2017 at home. Every morning when I feel the chill, his house coat is the first thing I put on because he used to love it. I take great comfort from that. Well, it's it's not just necessarily about you know, visitations or signs is the things that give you comfort. My six-month-old baby had a musical bear on a swing suctioned to her high chair. One day, as she slept, it began to play non-stop. I walked into the room saying, she's asleep. How is that playing? Uh, I buried it in the bathroom under piles of towels 
because it was playing non-stop. A few days later, my brother died very suddenly. I found out later he was lovingly known by his kids as Papa Bear. That's too much to be a coincidence as well. A musical bear on a swing says, I'll never forget this or him. Morning, Neil. When a loved one passes, people seek consolation from whatever works for them. Grief is very personal and it's very hard. Both my parents passed quite recently. I find it desperately hard and I find people don't know what to say except to me they say they are together now. Yet I personally struggle with that thought. There are no words of comfort, to be honest. I just try and stay busy and take it one day at a time. My niece in Kerry makes those memory trinkets you're talking about. They're just amazing. I think the memory blanket originated from the film Stepmom, which is a real tearjerker, says Eilish in Waterford. Don't know where it came from, but for me it's a wonderful, wonderful idea to make something lovely from your loved one's clothing. Um, You know, something very comforting in a blanket. My nan passed away three years ago. She used to always say that robins and white butterflies were loved ones. Ever since, I don't go far without a robin or white butterflies being near me all of the time. I know 110% that it's her. My granddad also found a white feather under his handbrake when we were asking him not to drive to Dublin. So it was her way of telling him not to make the drive. Another one, do you remember when they were saying that Deer Park was haunted and that there was a poltergeist throwing things around there? Did you ever visit that time? Uh, don't I? I didn't, but I don't know if one of the crew did. Deer Park CBS made the headlines, if you remember. They posted security footage showing locker doors opening by themselves and objects being tipped over. It was a creepy video that was filmed uh, automatically at 3 o'clock in the morning and was viewed 12 million times and was covered by news outlets from all over the world. If I remember correctly, that was a setup. Yeah, they, they they set that up. It was a brilliant job they did, but I think it involved maybe fish gut or something, fishing line and things, moving things around in the corridor. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868 Back to the phone lines we go. Car- oh, no, sorry, not there. My apologies. Line two. Let me fix that. Fiona, good morning. Hi, Neil. Good morning to you. Th- thanks for holding and thank you for sharing your own personal story. Go ahead. Hi. Um, well, it was going back there in 2018. We went to Australia to visit my sister Caroline who lives over um, it was about a year after my own mum had passed away so myself and my sister Sharon said we'd go off over you know just to visit herself just to see how she was getting yeah, on course, and yeah. we were after taking a lovely trip to a beautiful place called um, Phillip Island and just before Phillip Island there's this beautiful bay called San Remo and they do um, lovely bird shows and stuff like that so we were standing after the show and we were there for a while and as the three of us were standing together and um, we were kind of, you know, circled together and three beautiful, lovely, tiny little feathers just came down and landed straight right in the middle of us onto the floor. And when we all looked up together to see where these came from, there wasn't even a, there wasn't even a bird. There was nothing. There was no tree overhead or nothing that a bird could have been sitting in. And um, but it was just, you, just, there were oh three feathers for three sisters Fiona. three sisters yeah wow. and I, I still I had them until I changed my phone case because the back of it had broke and I lost one of the feathers and I still have two of them attached now with a sellotape to the back of the phone case on the inside I your mother your mother's them. memory will never be far from you as long as you have those feathers close to you never I have those to the back of the phone case and I have her picture on the front so every time that I open my phone mam's picture pops up instantly that's my screen 
picture like so. She's always around every one of us. It's just always beautiful. And even to the Robins, my house has Robins, uh, Robins pictures. My sister bought, or my daughter, Kira bought me a beautiful picture last year with a Robin on it and a lovely poem on it. And we have a little bird cage outside the window in the kitchen. And there's always this beautiful, friendly, friendly Robin that's always hanging around. So his mum is just never far from any one of us. Yeah, because TJ Hicks was saying yesterday, and I'm reading from her, from her article, she says, many believe that Robins have strong links with spirit messengers. They're associated with joy, divine sacrifice because of the Robin's red breast. I forgot the significance of the red-breasted Robin. Um, the 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 blood of Jesus, I think, wasn't it? Um, and yeah. gypsy lore connect, connects robins with good luck. So of all the birds, probably the magpie on its own is the worst one to see, but the robin is the best. The robin is definitely the best, and I think loads of people are the same with that. They get so much comfort from the robins. They're just they're just a beautiful bird, and they're a very friendly bird too. The way they come up on you and. You know, they, they, they're they not afraid of humans. Like, they're not shy of us. Like, they're beautiful. Like, they really are. And a lovely story for you and your yeah. sisters. Thanks, Fiona. Look after yourself. Lovely story. You too. Take care. Thank I was you. talking about the memory bear maker, you know, and we were chatting earlier on this morning with a family who have a little memory bear made out of dad's shirts and what have you. That probably was made by Georgina Hart, who's got memory moments here in Cork. I think she's down in Glanmire. Georgina, good morning. Hello, good morning. Thank you for getting in touch. Thanks for your text. Do you think that that was your memory bear that we were talking about? I think so, yes, because I'm in Glamour. I do, yeah. yeah. How, how do you make them? Talk about the backstory to it. Well, um, people will give me a garment of clothing um, from uh, one of their loved persons has died. Um, and I make up my own pattern, so I make a, I have a template, like, like a film pattern of a, of a bear. And I'll cut it out. I'm a bit of a, of a perplexed, so I um, mm-hmm. I make sure everything is perfect, you know. And um, I cut it out, and then I stitch it into a lovely bear. And, and um, stuff it? And stuff it, and then I put embroidery. If they want to message her name in the front, I'll, I'll um, embroider a message her name in the front of the bear, too. You have a big old-fashioned sewing machine on the go, have you? I have a, a big old-fashioned sewing machine on the go all the time, and sometimes two machines on the go. <laughs> I'm very busy. I big old so, big old singers, I suppose, are they? No, actually, brother. <laughs> <laughs> oh, they make them as well. I don't, know, do many, indeed, I don't yeah. know many people have sewing machines anymore. What do you think? Or do they just recycle everything? I think people probably recycle. I, I, some people sew. Not many people, I don't think so. But um, I've always sewed. Like, I made my sister's wedding dress when I was 21. I made my own wedding dress as well. So, um, and you were saying in your you're saying in your text that you're out the door with orders, are you? I'm out the door with orders. Yes, yeah, yeah. Like if I wanted um, a memory bear now, how long would I be waiting? I say you could be waiting now till the new year, definitely. Go definitely. Away. Yeah. Back orders. Yeah, because like um, as I say, like everybody, you could have the clothes hanging in the wardrobe, but it's more when you have a bear to hug or a cushion. And is it, it is great comfort. so? Who, who are they? Who are they being bought for and made for? Is it for for children oh, or for partners? No, no, no. Um, I have well, I, like all my customers are very special. Um, like for anybody, like like the first bear memory bear I made was actually for my own father's clothes because um, when I was starting up the business um, while I was waiting on a new machine to arrive, um, my own father passed. So the first memory bear I have made was out of his clothes. And it was short. So, um, like you. anybody, yeah, yeah. yeah anybody, um, like husbands, wives, 
grandparents, everybody. People will get them for themselves, they'll get them for the whole family. Somebody sent me uh, a photograph of work that you did. They say, she's brilliant. I got two cushions made out of my grandfather's shirts with pictures yeah. of them on them. They are fab. One is a denim shirt. The other one is one of the very, very Czech pattern shirt. They look like shirts folded up, but they're actually cushions. <laughs> Yeah, 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 yeah. How long does it take you to make one of the comfort bears? Oh, well, I take my time because it's not a light. You can rush, like, um, every every piece of clothing is different. If there's a check or design, you kind of have to match them up and everything. Um, So you'd be talking a few days, really, from, from the very start to the end. Are they expensive? Um, well... They would start as, for memory bread, they'd start at 60 euro. Yeah, it's great money. It's well invested, though, isn't it? Oh, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. a lifetime investment. And are you on Instagram then? I imagine you are because you're seeing loads I of I do. I've got, a, I've got um, Facebook and um, Instagram, yeah. Um, memory Moment Cork is um, my Facebook and the same for Instagram. Would you do Memory Bears, for instance, for Grannies and granddads' clothes, mammies and daddies, or the most tragic of all, maybe children as well? Oh, I've done for everything, yes. And, um, um, like, sometimes the, the smaller clothes, like, you need a few different, different pieces, a few pieces of clothes. But then as well as that, like, um, I also, some people now, like, I'll actually make them for uh, the children's clothes that, like, the, the child hasn't passed, but, like, the parents want a memory of their kids clothes when they were born or that's another year. brilliant idea so they, I they love give that me a few different pieces and um, I make that then they have their clothes and, and I put their name on it and their date of birth or whatever you know yeah. and then they have them and they can keep them forever you know what I mean I love it I love it and you're backed up at work which is a great thing and back, it's very good yeah you found your own niche then and I know you're going to yeah, be even busier yeah. after this phone call so yeah. people want to get I'm, in touch what's the yeah. Instagram page called uh, memory moment Cork couldn't be simpler than that. Well, look after yeah. yourself, Georgina. Thanks for taking the <laughs> thank, call. Thank you. Thank you. Bye. All the best. Bye. Okay. Memory Moments Cork. Go check it out for yourself. Pick up the phone. Text 0868104106 and we will continue the conversation. When the Cove Heritage Centre had just opened, I had to collect the keys from my now late husband who was working on a tugboat at the time. The tugboat was tied up at the deep water quay. My brother-in-law, Dan Noonan, also known as DJ Carl Johnson, fine DJ, good friend of mine, he drove me down. He parked his van by the Annie Moore statue. Dan went to the tug to collect the keys as the gate was closed and you couldn't drive in. As he was walking back to me, this young woman appeared. She was dressed in a red cloak with a black band on the hood. I clearly saw her face. Dan saw her from the back. She came out through the gates, passed the van and disappeared when she reached the Annie Moore statue. Neither of us were the better of it. Our story is printed in the Ghost Stories of Ireland book. You couldn't make it up. I wonder, did you actually see any more herself going for a stroll? In the sense that what she was wearing, the woman you saw, was it the same clothing, for instance, as perhaps the statue itself? Do keep those stories coming. Text 0868104106. Lots then yesterday from our conversation with Richard Hogan, the psychotherapist. His book is called... Um, home is where the start is, as in your upbringing and your rearing shouldn't necessarily define you. 
Uh, I really appreciated your conversation with Richard Hogan. Uh, I can, in complete agreement, that issues like this should be spoken about more. The dynamics are indeed the negativity that can be in some homes with regards to, say, an, an alcoholic or an addicted parent. Texter says, I grew up with an alcoholic mother. And the fear is still instilled in me whenever I hear a bottle of wine being opened and poured. She was a completely different person after the very first glass. Narcissistic, manipulative and emotionally abusive. I still struggle today with abandonment issues, trust issues and even seeing someone else having a drink in front of me sets off my anxiety. I now have two children and I have the ultimate fear that I will turn out like my own mother. Alcohol is the devil for some families. I've been lucky enough to have found an amazing Al-Anon group to help me deal with all of these issues. I think not enough people are aware of Al-Anon. Al-Anon helps family members. It's free and it is specifically for people who are dealing with alcoholics either in their lives now or in the past. It is the most non-judgmental group. When you arrive in the meeting... You only feel welcomed and loved. Every person in that room understands your story and can relate to it. It's a room full of nodding heads instead of shocked faces. It's a place that has healed me greatly. Thank you for that text and I'm glad you're in a good place and getting better every day. Lots more like that actually. Forgive me now because it's slower for me turning pages these days. Um, Alcoholism is a disease not an addiction. You need to to correct that. Um, My life his life, as in Richard Hogan's life sounds exactly like mine. I missed the name of his book. Can you call it out again? It's called Home is Where the Start Is. Fantastic interview with Richard Hogan. Well done for him sharing. When a daddy's car, Richard was saying that one of the triggers for him as a child was rounding the corner into his housing estate hoping and praying that his dad's car would not be in the driveway the red car when a daddy comes when a daddy's car is coming in the driveway it should result in a house squealing and shrieking in happiness not shaking in fear you'd need ear defenders in my house when daddy comes home the kids go nuts the things we take for granted. There's a lovely line, actually, in John Spillane's song, um, Magic Nights at the Lobby Bar. I don't know it verbatim, but he does talk about a time um, yeah, when mothers were, were just... I can't remember the line regarding mothers, but it's some beautiful words about mothers in Cork. And he says it was also a time when fathers were tall and kind. Somebody did text me, though, uh, and I remember uh, chatting on the air and playing um, in studio uh, back in the day, um, The Wobbling Man by John Neville. First of all, I played it from um, Spotify and then John Neville came in and he played it live in studio. And it really does detail his own life as a young fella and growing up in the home with an alcoholic parent. In his case, it was his father. Um, It's a beautiful song. Now, it is very melodic and it's beautifully sang, but it's the lyrics really, like the lyrics in any kind of a song that tell the whole story. So if you have three or four minutes, it would be great if you could... Just take time to have a listen again to The Wobbling Man. I left unknowingly as a boy. The wobbling man was like a toy. You'd wind him up and let him go. And watch him wobble to and fro. A 
there's such talent in this city that walks amongst us, the really talented John Neville with The Wobbling Man. I just love that button accordion. We'll have more texts and return to this topic a little later on this morning, including the references uh, to Al Anon. Back after the break, text 0868 104 106. Talk to Neil Prenderville now. 0818 104 Cork's Red FM. Okay, I'm lucky in the sense that I managed to book off some time with uh, Ralph Regal for the uh, Irish Independent, who is um, in Davidson County Superior Court these days in Lexington, North Carolina, uh, on the latest in the uh, Molly and Tom Martin's trial. Uh, the backstory to this, of course, was that they were sentenced to 20 to 25 years in prison. They were convicted of secondary murder of uh, Jason Corbett back in, in 2017. But in 2021, uh, my understanding of it is that they were freed then in 2021 after the appeal court quashed the convictions and ordered a real retrial. I think some of that had to do with evidence that wasn't admitted at the time, including audio recordings of the children. So that was one of the reasons why the children's, Jason's children's um, testimony wasn't heard by the jury. So they're back in court again now. Um, that was supposed to be a retrial, but it actually turned into a sentencing a hearing because um, they did enter a plea, much to the anguish of the family of Jason Corbett back home here in Ireland. But enough of me. Ralph Regal joins me by the phone. Ralph, good morning. Good morning, Neil. Uh, thank you so much. I know it's mental for you, but to some extent, that's kind of like the backstory. Have I missed anything there as to why we're back, they're back in court? No, that that's a pretty concise summary of the events so far, Neil, and, and pretty much it has it has been an extraordinary week out here because we came out um well sorry, about a week ago, two weeks ago we thought it was going to be a retrial and then we had the story in the Irish Independent on uh, Monday that it, there was going to be a plea bargain deal, which there was. So Tom Martins pleaded guilty to voluntary manslaughter, which here in North Carolina is a class D manslaughter offence. And uh, his daughter, Molly, entered a no contest. Now, Judge David Hall, who's handling the hearing here, pointed out that the state considers a no contest um, a form of a guilty plea. And he basically told that he, he quizzed both defendants before he would accept the, the, the plea and made them aware that once the plea was accepted and ratified, the judiciary would consider them to be convicted felons. But it's a big difference because second, second degree murder, they were serving a 20 to 25 year prison sentence. And as you correctly said, they were released two years ago, having served three and a half years of that sentence after the North Carolina Supreme Court overturned the conviction. But a, a second, a, a, a a voluntary manslaughter um, sentence can run from as little as probation, which is applied in, extra, in circumstances of extraordinary mitigation, all the way up to 17 years. Now, the judge has already said the 17 years, 17 year sentence does not apply here mm. because that only applies to people with very serious criminal convictions. So in reality, I think what we're talking about is a sentence that runs roughly between three years and nine years. This is the sentencing hearing. So the judge will hear all the evidence the submissions from the defence, the submissions from the prosecution, and then he will decide on the sentence. And of course, it's worth pointing out that if the judge imposes any sentence that's three and a half years or shorter, both Tom and Molly Martins will walk free on the basis of time already served. And there's anguish with the family back home in Ireland regarding this deal, isn't there? Yeah, very much so. And it, it's very difficult for them because, as I said, Neil, it's it's an extraordinary um, week in that we had the plea deal on Monday. We've had absolutely extraordinary evidence. We've had the Douglas Kingsbury, who was the solicitor for Monty Martins. He basically said that there's a contention that Jason Corbett had, had killed his first wife 
which of course the family consider to be outrageous. Yeah, they've, yeah. they've said that yeah. several times over the years. And as usual with these things, what's what's mo- almost more important is what was not said. So Mr. Kingsbury said that they will be entering medical evidence, but not once did he mention. And of course, Jason Corbett's first wife, Margaret Mags Corbett, died in November 2006. She died just a couple of weeks after the birth of, of their youngest child, Sarah. And what's worth pointing out is, and Mr. Kingsbury didn't point this out, is that she was actually with her sister. She wasn't alone with her husband. She was with her husband and her sister when she got the fatal asthma attack. And her husband put her in the car and drove her to meet an ambulance, which was on its way from University Hospital Limerick in a bid to shorten the treatment time for her. And sadly, despite the best efforts of paramedics in the ambulance, she was pronounced dead on admission to hospital. So you had that as one extraordinary element of the defence. And then, of course, what we had yesterday, which was certainly, I mean, the most jaw-dropping of evidence, which was we had two videos played of an interview that was given uh, or taken with Jack and Sarah Corbett on August the 6th, 2015, uh, with Dragonfly House. Now, that's a social services agency here in North Carolina. And why it's extraordinary was, first of all, it gave us an insight into what the Martins say was the nature of the relationship between Jason Corbett and his American second wife. But it was also extraordinary in the fact that, firstly, these two children were interviewed, having been four full days in the care of Molly Martins and her family after the the death of their father. At the time, Jack was was 10 and Sarah was 8, if I remember correctly. Jack Jack was 10, Sarah was 8, and Jason Corbett was beaten to death with a baseball bat and a concrete paving slab on August the 2nd in the early hours of the morning. And the two children were interviewed on August the 6th. They had spent four days in the custody of Molly Martins at this time. And what's also extraordinary is the fact that they were interviewed literally just hours before they were due to attend their father's memorial service. Yeah, but did I read, you were there, of course, you heard all of the evidence, but did I read that part of that involved uh, social workers asking them had they been told what to say or were they coached in any way? And both children responded to that, didn't they? Oh, both children denied it, yes. Had they been told and were they telling the truth? And the social worker said that I have three rules here. The most first and most important rule is that we tell the truth. Um, it was unusual in parts in that, I mean, for instance, Jack responded that, uh, you know, my, my father would uh, um, basically physically and verbally abuse my my mother. And it just, there were parts of it that you'd wonder, would a 10-year-old child say something like that or have that type of vocabulary Language. to describe things? Yeah. But but it was also unusual in that both children gave glowing descriptions of Molly Martins. For instance, Jack said that um, she helped get him into sports. She helped make him smarter. Sarah said that um, Molly was her best friend and that Molly had told her that the Irish family were coming over to take them away from their American home and back to Ireland. And that's why I have to hold my mom's hand at all times. Um, But the other side of it was that the children did outline what they said was um, abuse within the home. Um, Jack said that there was a troubled relationship, a difficult relationship between Jason Corbett and his wife. Um, He said that he had seen um, his father hit his mother. He had seen screaming in the house. Um, he said he felt very sad and angry over things that had happened. Um, Sarah, for her part, said that she saw her father pull um, Molly's hair, that he had struck her and that he had rolled over her foot. 
Um, there was lots of descriptions of lots of screaming and shouting within the house. Again, I think it's very important to say that these statements were not admitted in the original 2017 trial mm. for the simple reason that the then judge, David Lee, he had one set of statements from Dragonfly House, but he also had another set of statements of recanting all the evidence in the Dragonfly House interviews. And those recantations were, were given by the children just days after they arrived back in Ireland in August of 2015, following a very bitter custody hearing between the Martins family and between um, what does, the, Corbett, the Corbett family. What does recanting mean? Is it that the children said we... It wasn't true. They or withdraw. They, yeah, they basically what they say is they deny or they they withdraw everything that was said in the um, in the statements that were given to Dragonfly House. Now those statements, those recanting statements, will be given to the current hearing. But what we don't know as yet is will they be read out in open court, the way the videos were played in open court, or will they be given in the form of a written um, statement to the judge to consider, right. and only their summary be given then by the assistant district attorneys. We simply don't know that. But they did, part of this conversation back in the day involved the two children saying that they had their own specific passwords, particular words that they would use to call their grandparents if there was violence or shouting or aggression in the home. Is that right? Yeah, very much so. Another kind of a bizarre revelation, again, that didn't feature in any part of the original 2017 trial. What we heard, we originally heard this as part of a statement from Sharon Martins. Now, Sharon Martins is the mother of Molly Martins, and she's the the, the wife of Tom Martins. And she said she she knew that there was verbal abuse within the relationship between her daughter and her Irish son-in-law, but she didn't didn't see physical um, abuse, but she feared that it might be there. So she said that she had put an arrangement in place with both Jack and Sarah, that they had a little wooden doll, like one of those little Matryoshka or Babushka dolls. And on the bottom of it, she had written her phone number. It was put in a nest of dolls in a spare bedroom in the property. And both children, if there was ever an emergency or an incident in the house that they wanted to raise concern over, they would go and ring this number. And interestingly, Sarah had a code word of peacock and Jack had a code word of galaxy. And what Miss Martin said they would do is they would ring the number, they would use the word and they would hang up and she would then know that something was wrong. So she would ring the police rather than the children having to do it. And both Jack and Sarah confirmed that during their Dragonfly House interviews and they would actually practice doing it without having actually called the number. Extraordinary, isn't it? Now, they are both, Jack, 19, and Sarah, 17. They they won't feature in this, will they, with regards to giving any kind of updated evidence or responding to the recantation of those statements, no? No, we don't think that there's going to be anything from the witness box in here, though there are statements that will be admitted in terms of, this, say, the statements of that were recanted, and there were further statements made by Jack and Sarah to the police as part of the build-up to the whole retrial process, but they certainly won't be taking the, the witness stand. Okay. And it was quite, I suppose you probably used the word surreal yesterday, where on a large video screen, you see this eight-year-old and 10-year-old giving evidence. And then you look and just directly across the court, watching the video screen, you have this 19-year-old boy and his 17-year-old sister. And it was really, it could only have been exceptionally difficult for them yesterday. They were surrounded by their Irish family, of course, Tracy Corbett Lynch, Jason Corbett's sister, the lady who has led 
fearlessly yeah. led for the last yeah. eight years the campaign for justice for her brother. She was there with her husband Dave, um, Jason Corbett's twin brother um, uh, Wayne was there, his sister Marilyn was there, several of his lifelong friends were there and they were very much supporting the children and it was difficult for them because at one point Sarah um, became visibly upset and she had to leave the court in tears to be comforted by family members while the videos were being played. So the intro- just finally, the introduction of this, d- does that change everything? I mean, like, they never denied killing Jason Corbett. They said that they did it in, in self-defence, and, and then you have these statements, and that are being, must be a worrying time for the family in, in Ireland, many of them who are out there. Is this a game-changer? Um, I think it's it'll be very interesting to see the judge's reaction. Um, I mean, every single aspect of the original case is being challenged. The forensic evidence is being challenged. Uh, the circumstances of the marriage are being challenged. Um, the, the Dragonfly House statements have been introduced in favour of the defence. So I think it depends how much weight the judge attaches to these statements. There was one particularly pertinent comment that was made um, by Marissa Parker, who was one of the assistant district attorneys. And that was in reference to some of the testimony from Molly Martins. And that was the fact that Molly Martins has a strained and very complicated relationship with the truth. And I think that's something that prosecutors are hoping the judge will attach significant weight to. And how do they present themselves, uh, Molly and Tom Martins, in court? Ah, but they're both very smartly dressed. Uh, they usually arrive in court separately. They walk in with their legal teams. They do sit beside each other uh, to the front left of the court. Um, on the front left of the public gallery, you have members of the Martins family. Um, Sharon Martins is usually there. Two or three sometimes of um, Tom Martin's sons are in court uh, with their wives and partners. And directly opposite them on the right-hand side of courtroom number six in the Davidson County Superior Courthouse, you have, of course, the members of the Corbett family. So it's a very difficult, challenging um atmosphere I think for both families and it's going to be very interesting to see um, what line Judge Hall takes on all of this in terms of the mitigation and the defence team for um, Tom Martins which is led by Jones Byrne and Jay Vinoy they've said that there will be 10 specific mitigating factors that they're going to put out there in terms of uh, Tom Martins defence and in Molly Martin's case of course you have the fact that I mean the whole claim I think about the first wife has to go goes towards her state of mind and did she really believe that he was responsible for the death of her first of his first wife and of course several times both in written testimony and in video testimony which which, which we saw yesterday from Molly Martins she said that she feared for her life in the early hours of August the 2nd yeah yeah I know I know a lot a lot a lot left in this yet are we talking days or weeks I would be very surprised, Neil, if it wraps any time before next Thursday or Friday. There's been two weeks set aside here. There was talk that it could spill into a third week, but I think there seems to be a determination um, to try and finish it next week. But there's still an awful lot of evidence yet to go through. We're totally up to speed now, and I thank you for that, as always. Ralph Regal, Southern Correspondent with the Irish Independent at Davidson County Superior Court in Lexington, North Carolina. Back after the break, text 0868104106. Get it off your chair. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818 Red FM. The passing of loved ones. I remember years ago I lost a friend, Neil, and a few days before that I had lost my granddad. I was lying in bed crying when I felt someone rub my shoulder. I thought it was one of my parents. I turned around and there was nobody there. I do believe to this day it was my granddad saying, 
everything will be okay. Mal says, when my son Christopher died, a butterfly came into the church, circled the coffin twice and left, says Mal. And I'd imagine you all took great comfort from that. Uh, On my wedding day, I had two small fluffy white feathers fall onto my bouquet as we were outside the house taking pictures before the church. My mother had passed away two years before and my husband's mother had also passed. I can tell you now, it meant so much to me, said Sarah. And here's a lovely old saying. My mother used to always say this, staying happy is the corpse that the rain falls on and staying happy is the bride that the sun shines on. On our funeral day, my mother's funeral day, after we laid her down in her coffin and all was done, it just started to rain ever so lightly. So I reckon she was happy going to her maker. Uh, some lovely, lovely texts, really and truly. Um, can I also, oh, can I also mention, if you don't mind, that uh, the third annual Mass for Deceased Dockers is on at uh, Balafihan Church this Saturday at 6pm. Thanks, Neil. We'll keep you updated on our fight for something to remember the Dockers, says uh, Liam Corcoran, one of them himself. So the third Mass for the Deceased Dockers, Saturday, this Saturday, 4th of November, at 6pm. Um, and the fight that they're talking about is to try and get some memorial down on the keys. I hope it will happen. Um, imagine it will happen. And then maybe the developers will be involved in it in some way, shape or form. We have a big statue. The bigger, the better to the Dockers on Leaside. We were talking about XL Bullies, the type of dog that was involved in three different attacks in less than a week. Uh, down the east coast uh, and we were talking about the dangerous dogs list or the XL bully will go on the banned list in the UK we, we have a restricted breed list in Ireland but we have no banned list Neil there's no point in breed in, in, in breed banning because the problem will then shift to another breed it's unfortunate that people are being attacked but the problem lies with backyard breeders giving the dogs to irresponsible owners who only want a status and not a companion. I can tell you I am the proud owner of a standard red-nosed pit bull, all 30 kilograms of a loving dog, who from day one has been socialised correctly with animals and people. In the right hands, these dogs make fabulous companions. Uh, So it should be the idiots at the end of the leash who should be charged with intent with a deadly weapon. The unregistered breeders should be targeted by the wardens and not the actual people who care for their dogs properly. My dog is microchipped and neutered. If breed banning starts, where will it stop? As per the conversation on your radio program, it's actually golden retrievers who account for the most dog bites worldwide. This is most likely as they are the most common dog. But they never make the headlines because they're not big, bad bully breeds. Um, Another one here says, A woman told me that her teenage granddaughter, age 17, was walking their four collie dogs in a field a few months ago. Her dad was chatting by the gate. Three of her family dogs suddenly attacked her from behind. They ripped off her clothes and the fourth dog, dog stopped them. She was badly bitten and had a deep rip nail marks down her back. She screamed for her dad. When the dogs saw him... They calmly walked back towards him, wagging their tails. She went to hospital straight away and the dogs were put down. Isn't that bizarre? Uh, morning, there is a girl or a woman who walks around Balafihan with a pit bull with no muzzle. It's a beautiful, placid dog, but if that dog gets irritated and decides to attack another dog or person, the girl will not be able to control it, I guarantee you 100%. And a final one on this, I own a Doberman 
We've been going to training classes every weekend since he was very young. I'm just picking up on the question of why own a restricted breed? Yeah, well, that was a question I asked yesterday. Owning and training a working breed is my hobby. My every weekend is taking taken training copper and fulfilling what he, he was bred for to do as much as I can to make it right. It's awful to hear of people being attacked for sure. Maybe if there was legislation that said, if you own a restricted breed, you must prove attendance and obedience training, says Amy and Kinsale. Yeah, I think I might have also mentioned, should there be another license, um, kind of a level up license above normal dog licenses, uh, where there be more checks and background checks done and also checks on what kind of training has been given to the dog. I'm just thinking out loud. Anyway, that and lots more besides. So I'll be returning to some related conversations to Richard Hogan's conversation with me yesterday, growing up in the home of an alcoholic father. The Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. And two conversations on this here radio program yesterday. One of them involved, let me just recap. Uh, Phil was on the air uh, talking about an incident um, with uh, some kids in a housing estate where he lives. Uh, it's a neighbor's house, lots and lots of kids and the parents. Um, and some of the small little children, and they were very young, like his, his kids were uh, four, five years old. They were chased by a couple of other kids uh, and there was hitting in the past. There was robbing toys in the past. There was punching in the past. But recently, one of them, uh, pull, two of them pulled knives and blades. And in fact, Phil pulled a knife off one of the four-year-olds um, and he actually went um, and got onto the Garda Shikona, went down to the family house. You might recall that story yesterday. He said, I called into the house straight away and uh, called for the father. He wasn't there, but he did some hours later uh, confront him um, and say, why did you call the guards? Why did you call the guards? That was racist. That was racist. He was saying that it was racist because they happened to be a Romanian family. And of course, it had nothing to do with that. It was the behavior of his children. Anyway, the guards did call to the house and spoke to the family. Uh, but Phil was saying they should have also called to him because he actually had one of the knives. So following that, we contacted Garda Press on that matter in the greater Blackrock area. I'm not giving any further details than that. Uh, it was uh, an alleged incident that happened on Friday the 29th of September. We gave them all of the, the details involved in it um, and we asked them, did they have a record on their system? Did they have anything to report? And Garda Press said there are no reported incidents matching this description recorded on our system at this time. Uh, and that's as much as we got. So I don't know what to say with regards to that as to whether it was just a, what one might call a, a an off-the-record call uh, by the guardie to the home to talk to the parents without actually entering it into any logbook or recording it, perhaps. I don't know. I just don't know. But that's what the response was from Garda Press, that they have no reported incidents matching this description recorded on our system at this time. Um, which is bizarre because I think Phil also did say that he literally handed the knife in at a Garda station. Uh, so one would wonder, even at that stage, was it not entered in as somebody arriving with a complaint or an incident? Then, of course, we have the ongoing issues up around Mount Oval that I mentioned earlier on this morning. And we were in touch with Garda Press, uh, mentioned it this morning, but it happened on Halloween night. There was like, is it like something like 300 uh, young people were gathered enough to all such a nuisance carry on. 
I'll come back to that before 12 o'clock but uh, we got another response from Garda Press on that they said yes Garda did attend a mass gathering that occurred in Mount Oval in the Rochestown area at 9.30pm on Tuesday night no injuries were reported in the course of the incident four youths were arrested under the provisions of the Public Order Act which is a reference to the Youth Division Bureau um, so the reason for that of course is because they would be under age and I believe a uh, number of them 13 and 14 years of age but kids with knives um, I was talking to Phil on the air he said he explained in detail what happened uh, over the phone in fairness the guards have no power there uh, they're kids you see, they're 4 and 5 years old they can't be arrested as for the parents, look at it this way they can just deny, deny, deny and it's very hard for the guardy to prove anything I think it's unfair dissing the guards on air for not calling up when they're going to be sweet F all that they can do uh, except extra paperwork. And if they were up dealing with five-year-old issues and weren't available to attend a robbery or an assault, they would be hanged, drawn and quartered. Sounds like he should contact the council and get them to do checks on the family as they would have them vetted before housing them. Um, I, I think that maybe a four or a five-year-old with a knife would be fairly high up on the important scale. I'm not dissing anybody, nor am I dissing anybody who's been robbed. But I think it's fairly important because one child could have killed or maimed or seriously hurt another child with one of those blades. So uh, I'm not dissing anybody um, and I understand the, the, um, the constraints within Ungarda Shikona uh, but I'm not so sure that I'd go along with you 100% on that one. Many are suggesting that incidents like that should be reported when it's very young children behaving in that manner to Tusla. The Tusla need to be informed about those kids running around with knives because the parents sound as if they're incapable of looking after them. I was at a community policing forum in um, Farnree a couple of months ago, says James Joy, a Labour Party rep for the Northside, and many attending the policing forum had issues with kids engaging in antisocial behaviour in their area. The guards present said again and again that for children under 12 years of age, there is almost nothing they can do in most cases other than to refer the case to Tusla. The Gardaí find it incredibly frustrating. Thank you for that, James. And just one more on this. When I was a smallie, around six years, I, myself, and two buddies had two small knives one day. We passed two girls and said, ah, with the knives. Their dad came after us, took the knives, and said he would give us a front up the hole if we did it again. That was back in the 1980s. And I imagine things were very different. Back after the break, text 0868104106. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818104106. Red FM. Back to calls in a moment, lads, but back to um, some more texts that came in during and after my conversation with the uh, psychotherapist uh, Richard Hogan. His new book is called Home is Where the Start Is. Great listening to that man. He has really hit home for me. I must buy that book myself. I highly recommend it. Uh, I just got the last of the conversation as I'm at work, but I can relate. I too have rewired my life. I'm a survivor of sexual abuse, domestic abuse and alcoholism who went on to use drink and drugs as a coping mechanism for depression. I spent time in a mental health unit, but I'm now a strong rational, resilient woman with a lovely family. The scars will always be there. And I won't say it wasn't difficult, but for anyone listening that may be suffering, I'd say reach out. Um, Just reach out. There's always hope. I always loved the meaning of hope. Hold on. Pain ends. 
Have a lovely day. Thank you for that. Richard's life sounds like a carbon copy of my own childhood, including the physical altercation with his dad. The damage alcohol causes is awful. It has led me to have terrible anxiety till this day, says P. And the Irish way and much of the conversation I was having with him had to do with the fact that um, you know, I guess no family is without issues and its problems, but is it the Irish way to keep them bottled up in secret, particularly in the family? Say an example of that would be, you know, chatting with Richard about an alcoholic parent or violence in the home. I suppose really there's no perfect family in any way, shape or form. That conversation with Richard Hogan took me back to my childhood, watching the lights of the car shining through my bedroom curtains as dad pulled into the driveway. I'd know by the shake of them the lights that he'd been drinking and that a row was coming as my poor mother tolerated his alcoholism for years while trying to raise four kids herself. I inevitably ended up marrying a man who had similar childhoods with his father and turned out similarly. I covered for him and enabled his drinking, even joining in as that's what felt familiar and safe to me. We've been separated years now and are co-parenting our beautiful child I am delighted to say that he stopped drinking a couple of years ago. My father is 20 years off the drink too, thank God. My mother passed away of dementia recently and even though they had been separated for over 20 years, my dad dedicated himself to visiting her daily to take some of the burden off us kids. I also believe that it helped heal his own soul for the damage he'd done. I'd forgiven my father and we have a good relationship today though I'll admit that a resentful undercurrent often emerges on my side every now and again. I do my best to keep it in check, though. I'm very aware now of the patterns that are both familiar but destructive for me in choosing a partner, and therefore I have stayed single many years due to that. But now I'm 50, and I feel I might nearly be ready. Well, good luck to you on the next uh, part of your journey, if you feel you're ready now to dip your toe in the water again. Also, uh, inevitably, of course, um, your father could have died if he hadn't stopped drinking and there was awful damage done to the family in many different ways you talk about in your text. But at least, you know, he did stop. And I suppose in his own way, in spite of the carnage, he's doing his best to put it right. Just one or two more. I was listening to your, listening to your show where I heard you giving out details for the Samaritans and Childline. But just to let you know, people can also use a free and confidential text-based support service called text about it uh, just text the word hello to 50808 hope that helps 50808 I love the show listen to your show Richard Hogan I can identify so much can you please tell anyone affected that Al-Anon is great therapy and meetings are all over the city each day and night a list of meetings can be found online it's for over 18s but some of us are still adult children of alcoholics and some live with alcoholism now. So we're all affected by alcoholism at the Al-Anon meetings. That leads me very nicely along to Anne, who herself is a, a member of uh, Al-Anon. She joins me by phone. Anne, good morning. Good morning, how are you doing? I'm good. There's some of the texts this morning. I had lots more of them yesterday following my conversation with uh, Richard Hogan. I, I, I'm told that you, you probably didn't hear the conversation, but you do know of Richard. You don't. You do know of the book and you do know of his work, which is nice. Well, I, I know of the dynamics of alcoholism and, and the way it affects a lot of people is, is really remarkably similar. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, we did get a number of texts saying for family members who went through it or are going through it, mm-hmm. Al-Anon is their home from home, if you like, with regards to others who are suffering similarly, right? 
Absolutely, it's a fantastic support system and I'm really delighted that you're going to be um, you know, covering what it is that Alnon does and, and I just want to make clear from the beginning I'm, I'm just speaking as a, from my own personal perspective as an Alnon member because there's no bosses or leaders or experts it's a peer-led kind of you know, fellowship of people who are in the yeah. same boat and who yeah. try to support each other. And, and Richard's conversation with me yesterday was very open and honest about his own experience as a child and a teenager in a chaotic home setting um, mm-hmm. you know, and he, he, he wrote the book and was telling how he learned to rewire his life and, and to move on and carry it with him. And then there were many other people who were sharing similar stories um, of life yeah. and the chaos, you know, and sometimes it can be verbal, sometimes it can be physical, physical it can be coercive control, in many different, different ways. Um, but we don't, we don't, the Irish thing is not to talk about this in the family home, is it? Absolutely. And, and there's such a huge amount of shame. I mean, just speaking an embarrassment, the whole factor that, that, that leads into the whole, you know, secrets and lies kind of situation. And like just speaking from my own perspective, it's, it's like you've just been run over by a bus. It's, it can be totally unexpected. I fell in love with a lovely guy who was totally head over heels in love with him. I was with him for nearly 10 years. And when he descended into alcoholism, it was a complete shock and, and a horror. Um, and it's an incremental thing. You just get worn down day by day by day. Stop bringing people home. You know, stop going out because of rows. Um, and can really affect your life in a way that, that just creeps up on you and suddenly one day you realise you've turned into a complete lunatic and everything is crap and you don't know why and you can't put your finger on what exactly and, is going wrong. And had you spent years trying to, for want of a better word, fix him? Yeah, that was a, that was a total light bulb moment for me when I joined Al-Anon. They had a they have a lot of information. I mean, they give you a lot of information on the dynamics of, of, of addiction and alcoholism, which is really really useful. And I found this little leaflet. What do you do about the alcoholics drinking? And I love checklists, so I thought, oh, I'll have a look here now. Am I doing all the right things? And uh, you know, I looked through the list, uh, and it was a very long list. You know, do I do I uh, make excuses for the alcoholic drinking cover up with relatives and friends do I supplement or earn all the income do I uh, you know keep talking to them and encouraging them to give up drinking and you know it gives us all sorts of things do I pour the alcohol down the sink do I um, you know tell them not to feel sorry for themselves or console them or, or, or hide money so that it won't get spent on drink and I'm going oh yeah I've done all these things I've done all these things and then as it's going on it's saying do you uh, give out to them for shouting and roaring at the children and then turn around and shout and roar at the children yourself you know and so I started going uh oh and um, as I read through the list and finally at the end it said has any of this helped has any of this helped the situation and I suddenly thought oh my god no I'm running around like a lunatic because I love and care for this person trying to save them trying to fix them trying to fix the situation trying to take everything onto my own shoulders and none of it is working because it doesn't work because I didn't understand the dynamic of addiction and alcoholism and the effect it was having on me. And I think that's really what happens. Everybody knows yeah, about AA. Yeah. Everybody knows an alcoholic is addicted to alcohol. Everybody can see various outcomes of the addiction. What they don't see is the invisible damage that's done to the, to the partners and the children and the parents and the families and the, the you know, co-workers. Yeah of somebody who's drinking uh, in, in, a, in a self-abusive way. And the damage is enormous and it becomes even invisible to yourself. You know, I was so fixated on fixing him, getting him help, supporting him, shouting and roaring at him, you know, doing anything I could to try and get him to stop drinking. I had this whole spotlight of attention on him all the time and I took it off myself completely and I took it off my kids to my shame. And and it's like a black hole that just sucks in all the attention because all the dramas, all the crises, you know, day after day are revolving around the addict or the alcoholic and you're just a little kind of 
set of moons circling around. I know, yeah. One of, one of the you know, you're going through that list. Alan was brilliant in that he got me to put the spotlight back on myself okay. and the okay. things I could control rather than running after you know a kind of chaotic situation. Okay, I'll hold I'll hold one question for a second. Let me, let me you you read out all of that list and and it was all of the things that you do and that you shouldn't have done. Oh well, but, it, but the, it was but, only part of the list. Yeah, it was but, a very long but that but that <laughs> yeah, list it, kind of it, it doesn't it doesn't tell you what you should do. No. No, and this was, you know, I, I saw the list, what do you do about the alcoholics drinking? I thought, brilliant, I get a checklist of what to do. And the, the very uh, difficult thing when you go down on first to stomach, and a lot of people, it sticks in their craw and they go, oh no, this place is no good to me. And they go off, which is a real pity, is that the, the biggest message is there is very, very little that you can do about someone else's addiction. There is very little you can do. The main thing that you have to do when you go into Al-Anon is admit this is bigger than me and I can't control it. And when you think about it, if the alcoholic can't control it, how in the name of God are you going to be able to control it and you're not even that person? You know, so it's really difficult to admit I'm not going to be able to fix this. But once you've got past that hurdle of admitting I'm actually powerless over this. I mean, if I, if I you know, walked into a, a huge traffic accident, you know, um, or, or if there was a tsunami or something, I wouldn't think that I could fix it. I wouldn't think that I could run around and, and single-handedly, you yeah, know, yeah. help everybody, fix everybody, mend everybody. Um, I might do some small practical things, and Al-Anon is about that. It's about putting the focus back on yourself and saying, look, what can you do? All you can do is look after yourself and the people who are dependent on you. Does Al-Anon tell people to distance themselves, but there is no hope and no help that will make it right? No, absolutely not. And Al-Anon doesn't tell anybody to do anything at all, which is brilliant, because I'm really not a joiner, and I've been in Anaheim for a couple of decades and you know I've never joined anything uh, for any length of time um, but I stick with Anaheim because it helps me so much it doesn't tell you to do anything it, it allows people who are in the same situation so other people who have who feel that their well-being is being affected by someone else's drinking that's all you need to come into Anaheim and it allows us to get together and share our own experiences and our own strength and our own hope and if I go into a meeting and I hear somebody else talking about a situation and I go oh my god it's like she's living my life or it's like he's, the words that are coming out of his mouth are the words I'm thinking in my head and I really listen to what they're doing and then they talk about what they did about it and what steps they took to try and improve the situation for themselves. It gives me a whole different perspective and I think, oh, so rather than running around phoning up all the pubs trying to find out where he or she is and, and ringing my friends crying down the line for hours, I could actually go for a walk and bring a picnic and bring the kids and, you know, go for a walk and have, have, have a half day off to myself and, and do some self-care because nothing I do is going to make any difference anyway Amazing. and there's an enormous weight that lifts off your shoulders when you think um, you know me ringing around the pubs isn't going to stop somebody drinking but me sitting at home working myself into a frenzy of despair is going to leave me depleted anxious resentful furious um, snappy with my kids and how is that going to help anyone? It's going to not going to help anybody. So if and the day that I first did that, the day I first went out for a walk and actually went out with some healthy people, didn't talk about the alcoholic, focused on something that was fun, I came back relaxed and, and happy. And I, I, the penny dropped for me that even if you're in the throes of active drinking, how long can help you to live a life that is initially far more tolerable and then eventually actually enjoyable that you, f- you feel like you know you're living your own life and um, as the alcoholic gets better that's great but I can't force it to happen it, it, and what often happens is that as you get better the alcoholic is looking at you enjoying your life they're not enjoying theirs and they may decide they may not decide to try and change but but the relationship didn't didn't last or it didn't 
Ah, oh, well, there's many reasons for that. Um, but uh, uh, that, that particular relationship... No, well, actually, the, the, the first relationship I had, I would um, I had a friend who was in AA who was saying, why don't you go to Al-Anon? And I just remember looking at her as if she had two heads. And I said, well, why would I go to Al-Anon? He's the one with the problem. He's the one who's drinking. And I just didn't go. And, you know, I do regret that to this day. It may have made a difference, it may not. But it was after I had um, split up from him um, that I got together with someone else, you know, a year or so later, who also drank very heavily, and I suddenly thought, hang on a second, I could just go repeating this pattern for the rest of my life, maybe I should go to Alamon and figure out what, why the hell... Is, is, is that bizarre that, that you would go from one relationship into another like that, I'm wondering? I don't think so. I think, okay. first of all, there's familiarity, and secondly, there's that terrible, terrible hope that this time it will be different. This time I okay. know what I'm dealing with, so I'll be able to... You know, you want to fix things. This over. I mean, that is the biggest burden that I have put down in my life is the burden of thinking I should be able to fix this I should be able to help instead of minding my own business and looking after my own life and while I was focused on fixing and helping someone else my own life was going down the toilet I was under terrible stress work-wise I was losing money hand over fist you know uh, uh, my health was suffering and my health suffered very badly I have never been in better shape now that I'm keeping and in those I'm delighted to hear that but in those days you were were in cover up mode you mentioned the term cover up constantly making excuses was it covering up yeah yeah Yeah, you'd cover up for the person with regard to their workplace or you'd 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 invite people over for dinner and then say oh you know all of you know the boilers burst you know don't come over because they were on a binge you didn't want someone to see it Um, and also I just lost myself completely I turned into someone I did not recognise and did not like I was like a shrieking Valkyrie you know, just complaining, giving out. I'd start to humiliate him in public because I was so full of seething rage that my life and our lives were going down the toilet. Uh, you know, in 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 the, in the in the train of this alcoholism. It's like it's like the alcoholic is addicted to the alcohol, and I was addicted to the alcoholic. And it's very addictive. It's an emotional roller coaster. There's one crisis after another after another. It's like being punched drunk. Every day is a different drama. You don't get a chance to draw breath. With Al-Anon, I go into a room or I go into a Zoom that's full of people who are living through the same kind of hell and a lot of them are way down the road. They're in a great place for recovery and they can look back at how I'm feeling now. Well, what and is? they can say, God, I remember my days like yeah. that. This is what I did. This is what I tried. This is what my life is like now. And you get the great hope of thinking, they're still living at that situation or they've recovered. I can recover too. And then you start working the program, working the steps and the All program. Right, that's and that's, that's, kind, of, that's kind of interesting because I, I did have a, an observation that I wanted to make. If, 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 somebody, yeah. if somebody is in the throes of this living and in a relationship or in the home with somebody and is having devastating consequences and they're living with it like you were and they go into an Al-Anon meeting and there are others who have are further down the experience and maybe have moved on with their life would those people in Al-Anon would they say to them you need to stop covering up. You need to stop making no, excuses. No, you, you need to. Alanon is not about people telling other people what to do with their lives. It's but, your but, life but, 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 but are there, are there some? Are there they did themselves? Yeah. You know, the world is full of people who are telling me what to do. Leave him. Pour the alcohol down. Why do you put up with it? You shouldn't do this. You shouldn't do that. You know, this is father of my children. So you know, you can't go around telling people to take you know take steps like that. Some people decide to leave. Some people decide to stay. Some people, the alcoholic gets better. Sometimes they don't. Sometimes they drink themselves to death. Um, you know. Because there's always the chance. It's terrible, but you don't know what's going to happen and what you can control is what you do and it keeps the focus back on what you can do. So no one will give you the advice. They'll just say, come to six meetings at least before you decide that this isn't for you. Um, And if you come to six meetings, usually you've got the gist of how it can help and and work the program. And, and And when you see so many people 
Like there are 55,000 Al-Anon meetings in Ireland a year. 55,000. I have so a list of them. I have a list of them for Cork. They're just for the good, no. you know, just for the crack. I, they are getting something out of it. Uh, I, I, I knew that because I... I had the list of all the Almond meetings in Ireland. Uh, this was before COVID, the face-to-face meetings. And I multiplied it by 52 because they're usually weekly meetings. And it was 55,000 meetings. I couldn't believe it. So there's an invisible network of people out there who can help you, who can support you. You are not alone. And they're free. And you can go along to these meetings. And since COVID is also an option, that if you can't physically get to a meeting, if you're bed-bound or if you're living in the middle of countryside, you know, miles away or you can't, you don't drive or whatever, you can also go to the, uh, a lot of Almond meetings online now mm. all over the world mm. and in different languages and so on if you are a Polish speaker or a Russian speaker or what have you. So the, the, the whole fellowship is a worldwide fellowship. It's not just in Ireland, it's not just in Cork. And you can get meetings every hour of the day and night now because... You can go on to an American meeting at three in the morning if you're having a very bad night. So it's very, and, it's, it's, and, 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 you know, hear other people. It's very, about how things are for them. Very and interesting. You can share how things are for you and get, get it off your chest. And I will give out some contact details, I promise that. Mm-hmm. But just the last couple of days, I've seen on a number of occasions people. Um, pulling me up on when I talk about alcoholism. Some pull me up when I say that it's an addiction. Others pull me up when I say that it's a disease. Does, does that matter which or whether? Um, well, well, when we say when somebody, people say who can go to Al-Anon and some people hold off going to Al-Anon because they say, well, I'm not actually sure if he or she is an alcoholic. You know, they haven't been diagnosed. They only drink occasionally. It's only binge drinking. It's only whatever. We don't talk about alcoholism or define alcoholism as such. We just say this program is here for anyone who's been affected, who feels that they are affected by someone else's drinking. So that's all. It's a very, it's a very gentle program. We don't go into the mechanics of it or the medicinal element it. of it. We do say it's, it's, it, you need to think about it as a disease because, you know, if you had someone who had cancer or multiple sclerosis, you wouldn't be getting angry at them because they couldn't walk or they... they that, were, well, that's, the, they point were I, that's well. the point I'm making, I suppose. Yeah, it's, it's, a, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way of thinking about it. It's more like a mindset and it's a way of thinking about it. But we, we're not... You know, our, fo- our idea is not to focus on the alcoholic. AA is there for the alcoholic. AA can help the alcoholic. And obviously you're trying to support the alcoholic because most of us love our alcoholics, so we yeah, wouldn't be with them or near them or whatever. Yeah, um, uh, to support them, you know, in their recovery by saying, yes, I support you in your recovery and I'm going to do that by looking, taking care of myself and leaving you in peace so that you can do your own recovery in your own time. Um, so it seems really counterintuitive. But what, what I've got out of Al-Anon is you get information. Like I got that leaflet, I had that light bulb moment where you start to understand the dynamics of addiction and the part that you play in it. Because I thought all the things happening in my relationship were personal to me in my relationship. And when I looked at them, the dynamics are really common to other people, like the people who are all reacting to you, uh, you know, the, 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 part, the piece that you did yesterday, mm. they were all phoning and reacting, saying, this is my life. And there's an incredible sense of fellowship that you get, that you feel, I'm not alone. Other people are talking about things, and it's as if they're living my life. And there's this great sense of fellowship in on and on. And then they do give practical steps, as in, you follow the 12 steps, and you, 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 you have slogans that just bring you back into the moment, like, you know, just for today, or keep it simple, or, you know, live and let live. So there's different things. And they sound a bit naff, you know, originally you go in and you think, oh my God, this is some kind of mad cult or whatever. But well, when you hear other people just speaking from the heart about, about how their lives have improved. What about uh, children, though? The children know, who are living with them, because they'd just be over 18, wouldn't it? 
It's a, yeah, alanine is only for over 18. Now, there is alatine, but unfortunately, that um, there are very few alatine meetings, as far as I know, in Ireland, but there, there may be alatine online. But anyone who's reached the age of 18 is welcome to come along. I think the children will benefit from the parent going okay. hugely, okay. hugely, okay. because definitely um, the way that I relate to my, my child is, is, is totally different now than it would have been beforehand. The peace of mind is, has kind of a trickle-down effect on the entire family. So even if you've only one member of the family, in the middle of an alcoholic chaos or whatever, who's attending Al-Anon. Mm. They're, they're impro- you know, it's like, the, it's like the rising tide lifts all boats. Good, okay. So you are in a better shape. You're kinder. I'm much kinder now. I have a very good relationship with my alcoholic ex and we co-parent together. Um, it, your relationship improves with everybody all around. I cannot recommend it highly enough. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely... It's and you're definitely a great advocate for um, Al-Anon and a great ambassador and I do appreciate you outlining it for us this morning. Thank you so much, Anne. I'm... Doubtless no going to get more calls. I'd say, I'd say, I'd say, I'd say, the only thing I'd say, the only kind of advice we do give is if you try it out, try out at least six meetings. All the meetings are different. Every meeting is, is, has its own individual flavour. You mightn't like one, you might relate more to another one. And there are meetings that are kind of aimed at adult children of alcoholics specifically or whatever. Okay. So there are different meetings that, you know, you, you just try different ones and find out which one is a good fit for you. Okay. And again, they're online as well as, as well as Facebook. Thank you so much. Appreciate you taking the call. Thank you, Anne. Now, um, it's actually a UK website, but that's neither here nor there. It's www.al anonuk.org.uk and there's info there for all of the Cork meetings can be found there and we found them very easily just by, and listen, just if you just go into Google and type Al-Anon it'll take you to where you need to be and it's Moy and Mayfield and Bachelors Quay and Grattan Street and Ballinlock and Blackpool and Toker and uh, the Western Road and Mahan and the city centre and Dunmanway and Mallow and Ballancolly Cove, Newmarket. See where I'm going with this? Down west along Skibbereen, Bandon, over to Blarney, Cargilline and Newmarket and they're everywhere and anywhere every day, sometimes a few times a day. Text 0868104106 if you have a similar story to share yourself and we can pick up on those conversations in the morning. But we're back after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday. 0818104106. And I will be coming back to various topics, as you know, if you're a regular listener to this program. So get involved. You can always email neil at redfm.ie. But what a week it has been, actually, as we talked about Samhain and we we talked about Halloween and I mean of course there's all of the, the fun and the trick or treating and everything goes with it but there's also the, the serious side of it and this is the spirit world and of course if you go back many 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 thousands of years we lived in a different country a different world paganism was there we were of the Celts and we uh, celebrated and we honoured and worshipped uh, nature uh, and of course the relationship between the spirit world and the real world at this particular time of the year for many 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 millennia uh, was very very connected because it was the time when spirits walked amongst us it got me thinking earlier the week, we earlier in the week that uh, we we spoke from time to time over the years with Paulo Halloran uh, the shaman um, and the uh, man who does a lot of work with the spirit world and healing and I know he goes in and on some occasions we'll go in and clear houses or even clear land of spirits who are trapped. He's got an incredible backstory in his own life and that's what he does in the four corners of the world. He joins me by phone. Paul, good morning. Can you hear me all right, Paul? I think you should be okay on WhatsApp. Morning. Good morning. Uh, it might be a slight delay. Not not sure where you are these days. Are you, on, are you in Ireland or are you overseas, my friend? I'm in uh, the Azores, uh, Neil. That's where I am at the minute. I'm, and, I'm back and over. And are you as busy as you always were with regards to the work that you do? I, I'm crazy. Uh, when I go home, I'm just chock-a-block. Yeah, thank God, it's great. 
Is it is it good? Is this a good opportunity to find out what you have been working on since we last spoke? Yeah, um, I've I teach a lot of my 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 work now. I do. Uh, practitioners uh, shamanism, I do advanced shamanism workshops, I do land and healing workshops and just ancestral workshops because uh, when I was taught uh, and I, 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 my teaching started with Martin Duffy in Dunderry way back and kind of Celtic shamanism and then I met a fellow called Peter Vomant, his, his name his spirit name is Zanzi Mula and uh, the man who brings the rain, he's a Samgoma, an African trained shaman. And I worked with him for about 10, 12, maybe years uh, on and off. And I learned the, um, a lot of the uh, African way of doing things. And a lot of my work would be kind of in that way. And um, so I teach that okay, now. Okay. Uh, and what I'm trying to do is to spread it, you know, and to get more people involved because you know we can't do it all and there's so much work to be done and i believe every time we teach and every time we empower someone to do the work it's making a difference on the earth to the to the frequency to the vibration to everything and the work you know? involves spirits some of them are um troubled uh, some of them yes. i remember in the past were Not quite in our vodka deal, <laughs> they're what yeah. troubled spirits yeah in the in um, the sense that i know when we spoke before you were doing a lot of a lot of work on um um land as a i know we did work on homes yeah, yeah i still do a lot, a lot of my work is land healing uh, just just a story i'll tell you um that only happened to me last week or two weeks ago these people built a, people. You see, a lot of people wouldn't be aware of this in a way. People built a, a young couple, of course, built a house five, six years ago, and they were having a lot of problems with the house. It was infested by wasps, and they couldn't get them out. They cleared one nest, and within a few weeks, there was another swarm in. They opened the windows of the house. There was robins coming in, uh, and. The, shat all over the place. Um, they had mice, they had bats, they had everything. And this was kind of a cycle over five years. And, and uh, you know, we are kind of called as a last resort with all the pest control and all the different people came in. So went and uh, looked at the place and I divined for different kind of things. I divined for geopathic stress. I divined for uh, spirit lines. These are lines on which the spirits walk. Fairy line, yin lines, different different types of energy that can be coming through the house. And in actual fact, what it was, was a fairy line. Now, a fairy line to me is a fairy path. It's a path in which the fairies used to go from one place to another. <clears throat> so they didn't want the house to be built on that um on their path, they were annoyed, and I've come across this. Um, and they were putting every single point. obstruction they could through the property. All of what you described, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. So that uh, the people would move off their path in whatever way. Did you now, clear it? I did, yeah. But let me tell you the story. Uh, anyway, we we tuned into them and called them in. So what I normally do when I'm talking to them, of course, it involves whiskey. So I I um. I I offered them a glass of whiskey. So one guy sat one side of me and uh, he was having the glass. And I looked the other side and the other fella said, you'd want to be filling another glass of whiskey for the other 
guy. So anyway, we talk to them. You, you kind of have to do a deal with them, a trade with them. A so is this a physical presence? Yeah, I could see them, yeah. And um, describe anyway, them, describe um, them for me, Paul. Yeah, I see them. You see, some people think fair, to me, fairies are a, like dwarf sized people. They're that, them are the fairies that I see. You know, leprechauns would be the same. They'd be that kind of bulky, uh, strong kind of people and just dressed in, in kind of more old fashioned clothes kind of thing. And, um, so um, I talked to them and what I explained to them all the time is this. In olden times, you know, when people built houses, they used to put four stakes in the field. If one of the stakes was knocked in the morning, they were all knocked. They knew that was a fairy pad, so they wouldn't build on right, it. Right, that was the indication. And and, and, and they, they knew, like, that was a way of getting planning permission, but they were aware of that energy and of that stuff. So the people today are not aware of it. So when I explained this to them, and anyway, they were very cooperative so we changed the line out around the house so that they could they would move their way and they would leave the people alone um, so that's just uh, did they, you so, know happened but did they because people will think this is bizarre I mean did they drink the whiskey no, you leave the whiskey there, the energy of the whiskey. And what I do with the whiskey afterwards is pour it out on the land and offer it to them. So, 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 so it's an offering to them. And so for you, the spirit like is always, it's actually a physical manifestation of, you know, of, of a spirit of, of, of dead people. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, you see, um, they, they, their, their job, there's many realms in it. Peter Pan, when I trained in Africa, I, I, I connected with the spirit of Peter Pan. He's the guardian of all the elementals, the elemental beings that they're responsible for the trees, the grass, they're responsible for different aspects of, of nature. And what we're actually doing with them, with all the building and stuff we're doing with them, we're pushing them back after out of their domains, out yeah, of their place. Yeah, no, I get it. I so, get it. There's a different realm and it's theirs. I understand what you're saying. And, yeah, and, and, and you see, in olden times, Neil, in, in my father's time, your father's time, grandfather's time, these people respected that energy. They, they, they honoured it. There was, there was less interference electronically. There was less television. People played outside. People had more of a connection to, to, to nature in a way. And the same thing, like... You know, people in old time, you know, with ghosts and things like that. And, you know, you can get ghosts uh, trapped in the realms in, in, in this in this energy, you know, like for hundreds of years. But people honoured, honoured, honoured their past and honoured their, their thing. In Why a, in can't a, in they pass? I mean, you, you have been in situations where you have spirits who are, are trapped and are neither here nor there yes. and could still be, say, as an example, in, in the family home, is it? Yeah. You see, sometimes, you know, I, um, I, I'll give you a very, very good example. I was running an advanced workshop and one of the things I was trained to do in, 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 in my experience when I was taught, I was brought to a graveyard and in the graveyard, sometimes you'll pick up souls that need help, you know, and this is that are sitting on top of the grave when you tune into them you can see them so what I do is I get my students to journey down into what we call the underworld where they're trapped 
and 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 to sit with them i want them to experience that energy so that when they meet these souls they have an empathy to the soul that they can connect to the soul that they know the soul is in trouble but when you I, so, and, and it's great that you're passing that on to students but when you connect with them say in the graveyard you converse with them yeah yeah, yeah. I don't, it doesn't always be in graveyards. I'm just giving you an example. But, but this lady anyway, one of the girls got this old lady and she was sitting in, in this energy and she was miserable. And what happened? This woman carried a guilt complex with her when she crossed over. So she was afraid to go home to heaven, if you want to call it, or to, to whatever realm she was, she was to go to because she was afraid she'd be judged that she was guilty. She had this complex with her that she was guilty. So she sat in that guilt. And what I realized in that moment when she was sitting in that guilt, because of the conditioning of the, the teaching, say, of the Catholic Church, that was her hell. She she created her hell. What was her guilt? Way, Do you know? Did she tell you? I, I forget what the guilt was, but she was guilty. She she felt um, she could feel all this guilt around her, all this thing that she let someone down or that she did something wrong. She was afraid that when she crossed over, she would be she would be judged for it. And do you have the so power to, for want of a better term, set her free? Yeah, we were able to set her free because all you had to do was talk to her. And the way we we crossed the 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 way I was trained to cross the 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 souls over. You see, if you call Jesus and you call the angels and to take them, when they see them coming, they they can't be afraid of that because they're afraid they're going to be judged because these are higher higher beings and they're afraid they're afraid of these beings but if you call on their ancestors their father their mother their brothers their sisters who, whomever they love let them come and take them home so and when do they you see, see them father, coming? yeah you can see them coming oh yeah. my god that must sometimes be very emotional see, um, is it yeah sometimes it can be yeah. it, it, it's not really emotional for me uh, because I I I I I don't get trapped in the emotion because if I do I could get possessed. But what, what what's lovely to see sometimes if you're working with someone, say their father's spirit is there, their mother's spirit or brother or sister or someone they love, there and when you actually release them, you can see tears come. They, they get emotional. They get really emotional. What about the, the when, when what about the evil ones, Paul? Because we spoke in the past about evil spirits yeah. and trapped. I mean, even bordering on what would be deemed as. I don't know that poltergeists are always evil. Some of them are, are just playful, are they? But you you've come across some bad pieces of work, haven't you? Yeah, yeah. I, I, it just brings you back to a story, Keith um, Arneil. That um, um, it was in Cork. Yeah, and we won't, go, we won't go into much detail about that because um, uh, that that led to issues afterwards with the people who actually owned the house. You know what I mean? But that was a particular... No, no, this is nothing about... No, it's, no, it's not... It's not is that a it's different not, one again? Not, uh, okay. No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah this, woman, this woman was possessed by a dark energy, you know? And the energy was actually trying to kill her. And... Um, Anyway, sometimes what happens in the energy that uh, the energy will converse with you, but the energy will start telling you a lot. Everything it tells you is a lie and it's telling you you're no good and telling you that. And when I, when I got the opportunity to, to, to talk to the energy in a way, I said to it, why did, why did, why did you come to her? What, what do you want to do? What's the objective here? Trying to find out more, of course, you know, and the energy said that, um, I want to kill her. 
I said, why? Why would you want to kill this person? Because this person is a good person and she's doing good for for people and I hate her and all this kind of thing. So that was his objective. Was and was, to, he, to was that her. a physical presence as well? Yeah, it was in her, inside in her. It was physically in her. So this I can spirit, see this evilness was talking through her own tongue? Yes, exactly, so yeah. That's, that's, yeah. And sometimes that's, it... Yeah. It's like exorcism. Sometimes they talk in foreign language. They talk in, uh, I don't know, I don't understand the language. Sometimes, you know, you have them when uh, they make this speech for about 10 minutes, you know, and it's in, in foreign tongues. The person's face will change. Everything happens. Their body becomes, they start to contort and all this kind of stuff. And that's because you're bringing in high frequency energy. And what that energy is doing is making that energy very uncomfortable. Paul, you, you, the best way- yeah, you should be recording your work though, shouldn't you? Maybe I should keep. Maybe I should, yeah. But what I do is when I when I, when I I teach in advanced shamanism, I teach I teach my students all this work so that they're able to do it. Now, not every one of them will do it, but I it's my duty to teach them that because if they come across it, that they don't get afraid, and uh, that, that that they're able to deal with it. You know, we spoke it's, in the past as well. It's about, tough work that one. Oh, but we spoke in the past about about battlegrounds with many trap spirits. We spoke in the past about famine graveyards where there would be an awful lot of yeah. hurt and pain. Am yeah. I right in that regard? Yes, you are. Um, in the battlegrounds, what happens in the battlegrounds, lots of the battlegrounds I have seen and encountered, um, they die, get killed in battle, they get up and fight again. It's like being in a fishbowl and it keeps going on. And one of the ways uh, I find, um, and we're doing a house in, in that lawn, and this poor woman couldn't sleep. She was driven mad at night, every night, with all this banging and all this noise that was going on. Took three goes to get it now. And I worked with another shaman from, uh, he was with me at the time from, from Isle of Man, David Leasley, a very good guy as well. But what was happening was, it was the people from the Battle of Akram, 1691. The souls were going home, bringing all their shackles and all their stuff and with She was them. hearing this every night. She was, yeah, you know, and she, the poor woman was demented, you know. And how it happened, she, she got an extension or something put onto her house. Everything was quite up to that. And sometimes some people do stuff like that. They can activate an energy, say the line was running through, like the spirit line was probably running through that piece of land that wasn't bothering. And then when she put an extension on, Bang. it awoke the energy, she yeah. could hear it coming. And the poor woman was, was absolutely demented. I, I'll never forget her because she was a beautiful old woman. And you know, when, 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 when they come to you like that and they're talking, they're telling you the story, but, but they don't know whether that they're mad or not or what's going on with them. But the only way we could um, we could release that 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 energy was we called the commander of the troops and he came on a big white horse and he said to the soldiers, "It's, it's time to come home now." And that, that that's how we released it eventually. And that again but, uh, was a physical presence to you. Yeah, I could see him. Yeah, could what see him coming. Extra- we could I- see the. And are you we born? could see the, the, the soldiers walking the, in misery and in all that kind of thing, you know. It's like it's like Lord of the Rings stuff, isn't it? Like the White Army and what have you. Army yeah, yeah but thank God, you know, um, I, I, have a, I have an ability that when I do it and when I see this stuff, to let it go 
and it's gone when it's finished. And when, if you, when you start prodding me again and asking me a question, it makes me remember the, the, these stories. But you see, these souls are lost, and these souls will be lost forever. Do you write the book? Do you write a book? Lady. Did you write a book yet? Not yet. I've I've a bit of one wrote and I've a bit of another ah, one. You need to get it really, done, yeah. man, because I don't know how long we're talking. It's many years now, but you need to get this done. Yeah, print. yeah. you really do. Yeah. I send you a copy. Is it is it a gift or did you? Can any of us do it? I believe everyone has gifts within them. Um, and um, I believe, you see, how my gifts awoke for me was through trauma. Through mili- I was in the military and uh, I had a couple of near-death experiences in Lebanon and I came out with post-traumatic distress and suicidal stuff and all the, all, all the nine yards. And what an amazing I suppose life. I went to went to the well and then I started to to come back and, and it, 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 to say 90% of people that have the I think there's gifts in everyone I believe that mm-hmm. and all we have to do is to be go into our hearts with a bit of humility compassion and love and if we come from that place magic will happen for us all and you know and I, I the reason I like talking to you is you don't try to put the fear in into the thing. A lot of people that do interviews on this kind of stuff on is trying to look for dramatics all the time. What I my whole goal in life is to let people know that this is there's no harm in it. It can be solved, and all these souls need most of the time is help. Listen, it's great to catch up again, really and truly. Don't don't be a stranger. We'll chat again soon. No, hopefully. I- we will, of course, yeah. Mind and yourself. thanks for everything, Neil. I really appreciate it. You're, the You're best. doing a great job. Great to chat again. Yeah. Mind yourself, Paul. If you're ever down on Leaside, God bless you. God if you're ever down on Leaside, look us up, all right? I will. I'll, I'll, when I'm down again, I'll give you a shout, Please all right? Please do. Mind yourself. Take care. The great Paul O'Halloran, the shaman. Our lines are open on 0818104106. You can always email neil at redfm.ie and text 0868104106. My apologies for everything I didn't get to tomorrow, but tomorrow is another day and we'll be good to go again. Have a good day. I'll see you tomorrow. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.